You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. I would say nobody has anything to fear from us. But we are going to control you now. It is the same spaceship you saw near the moon. That should convince you we do not come from your world. We are here to make you our slaves. At the beginning of time, aliens came to the Earth to create the ultimate organic weapon. They created mankind. By planting a special gene into man, they created the Zoonoids. Humans who can change at will into super monster soldiers. Eons later, the Zoonoid leader, called the Zoalord, has awakened and formed the Kronos Corporation to further develop the Zoonoid technology for world domination. Among the alien remains was found the unit, a bio-boosted alien armor. Worn by the aliens, it serves as an ordinary shield. If the wearer is human, it increases his natural powers a hundredfold. He becomes the Giver. But how to activate it remains a mystery. Dr. Tetsu Sagawa, a research scientist at Kronos, senses danger if this unit is activated by the Zoa Lord. Now the doctor has stolen it and is on the run. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week is Spooktober, baby, and we're going Italian mode, so I expect it to be weird and gross as usual, so join that sleaze. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for five years or six years or who knows how many years, <laughs> enough there. years. There are a lot, a oh, like 120 plus bonus episodes and even more if you include our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films, which we are just about due for one, I think, because I just oh, took yeah. a little bit of a break. Uh, so we will be talking about things like barbarian on the way wait for it it's coming um so if you haven't made the jump yet patreon.com slash lezoids podcast we definitely recommend doing that and speaking of which we did have a lot of people to give a shout out this week so i'm going to kind of rip through this a little bit here we had ryan o'hara we had boyo we had aaron uh we had david tripamere we had patrick kuda oh boy uh kadahi oh <laughs> I'm not even, sorry. Uh, and uh, Patrick also, though, signed up for a full year of the show Thank at the $10 a month rate, a full year. And he's going to be joining us for the live virtual screenings that we do on the last Thursday of every single month. So thanks to Patrick and hope to see you at that screening. Yeah. Um, which is coming next week, by the way. And then we have uh, Alexis Braun signed up, uh, Christian a Tony Stamp, a Zara Alexandra, Christopher Fitzpatrick, uh, I Like Books, who signed up for a full <laughs> annual uh, year of the show as well. What are you doing uh, on Wesley this show? Eddings. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> this is not the right show. Uh, Kendall Beck, he's branching out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick Romano, uh, Ralph Castaneda, who also signed up for a year of the show. Lots of people signing up at the annual tier. You can save money that way. Look into it. John Henry, uh, Zombie Horde, uh, Daryl Bowen, Joshua Foder, Sorenk. Uh, Mitchell LeBlanc, Oliver Crane, Charlie Bonamo, Judd, uh, Jay Long. Oh, and Charlie Bonamo signed up for $10 a month and will also be at the virtual screen. So it's a special thanks to awesome. uh, 
to him. Uh, Jay Long, Bacon Wheats, uh, Michael, Aaron Lebrec, and last but not least, James Leggett. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Yes, thank you. That's the one plug for the week. The other plug for the week, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are listening on either one of those platforms, and I see the stats, I see you right now listening on both of those platforms, scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review on both. It helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. And the very last plug is merch, as always. If you like the poster art by based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson that he did for the show, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. You can get just a straight up poster for your place, you can get a hoodie, you can get a pen, a notebook, a pillow. You freaks have bought a lot of different things. That link is in the description, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com. And that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I think, pulling out my little spreadsheets here, since it's been a little while since we've done this, uh, (laughs) two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us, and we would have had two very special guests on, Kurt Schiller and Chris Wordward from the Podside Pete Science Fiction and Fantasy Podcast, and we would have been going uh, cyberpunk mode uh, with them and talking, one, Abel Ferreira's New Rose Hotel from 1998, as well as Musha's uh, 1984 film called Decoder. And it was cool to kind of talk about, uh, because the previous week we obviously did a bonus episode talking about Blade Runner because we wanted to really get into the cyberpunk mode. And then their episode two weeks ago, we got to talk about some real lo-fi provocative cyberpunk because Abel Ferreira's version is this very mundane, transactional kind of alienating approach to the genre. And Musha's is this very very apocalyptic and atmospheric, uh, as I would say other cyberpunk is, but again, done in this very, very like kind of no budget way, including like real on the ground riot footage in Germany and some really, really cool uh, stylistic choices, as well as Jamie's favorite thing, a guy using music as a yeah. weapon to change the world. Yeah, just messing with EQ knobs and starting a revolution, <laughs> you know, it's what we all dream. It's what you want to see. Um <laughs> And uh, last week, over on the bonus feed, we uh, we decided that we would spend some time with our good lizard buddy and his buddies. Yes. We talked Godzilla. We went back to the Showa era because we hadn't talked about Godzilla since we did an episode on the original film alongside. I think we did like Godzilla versus Mothra. And I think we also talked about Ghidorah. And, mm-hmm. yep. you know, we realized we hadn't talked about Godzilla in a while. So uh, I during COVID, I did the uh, or during the early days of the pandemic, I did my entire Showa era Criterion box set. And so I wanted to have Jamie look at two of the, uh, the movies that represent the different styles of sequels that were out there. So we talked about one Abira Horror of the Deep uh, of the Deep by June Fukuda which uh, represents the very campy, childish side of uh, the uh, Showa era sequels, including like some beach vibe surf rock and like Godzilla (laughs) playing volleyball with a giant crustacean. Um, So that was fun to talk about. But then also on the opposite side, you have Godzilla versus Hedorah, which is actually a genuinely like creepy and psychedelic like environmental apocalypse film where Godzilla's fighting a giant sludge tadpole that like actually 
acidically melts people down into skeletons. Yeah, and one of the coolest parts of it was uh, it, it, it's one of the first, if not really the only, where I feel it, um, where Godzilla feels like he's in genuine danger from whatever monster he's facing off against. Uh, there's a lot of moments in there where he, where Hedorah is just absolutely kicking his ass, and it's it's quite something to see. And they have to come up with a lot of like new ways to fight each other um, as it evolves. Yeah, Hedorah goes so. like nope UFO mode. Hedorah is like uh, sucking on some smoke smokestacks, like he's you know ripping yeah. a bong. <laughs> there is some really insane imagery in that film, and it is personally just one of my favorite Godzilla sequences, just because of how visually crazy. It is, and yeah. how uh, you know while layering in kind of like the commercial children's elements, like doing that for a, an actual critique and a purpose. It was actually yeah. kind of doing this self-reflexive thing where it was looking at you know where the Godzilla films had gone and how all of these people are you know partying and you know uh, consuming instead of paying attention to the fact that there are giant monsters about to eradicate them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So either way, if you if you are interested in any of that, that was last week over on the bonus feed Patreon slash Slezoids podcast. But that episode was also strategically placed to line us up for this week, where we have a very special guest making his third appearance actually now on the show. Because I, I realized looking back at old episodes that we did that we actually had him on for two episodes, like in the same year, I think pretty close to each other. <laughs> but uh, we are very glad to have him back. He is uh, one of the wonderful hosts of the Pod About List show. And that is... Cameron. Cameron, how you doing? Yo, what's up? I'm doing great. I'm very excited. Um, thank you for having me on again. Yeah, thanks no, for Welcome coming. back. Well, I, I, I felt bad because the first time we had you on, you picked a wonderful double feature of Killer Clowns from Outer Space oh, yeah. and Brain Damage, which was a, a very fun episode. We got a lot of great feedback on that episode. And then when we had you on a second time, we kind of had, we, we invited you on actually to talk about something we had already put on because we actually had you on during the now iconic Dolph month where we talked about uh universal soldier and johnny mnemonic speaking of cyberpunk yeah. actually johnny mnemonic that was one of the first times we talked about that so when we had you on for that last episode i was like well he didn't really get to pick that episode so it's kind of it kind of sucks to be a guest when you don't get to pick the movies that we're talking about so uh, what two films I have, to, I have to say though uh if it weren't for that um that episode that you guys asked me to do those ones i probably would never have watched universal soldier day of reckoning Oh, okay, yeah. which is incredible, so, right? Yeah, yeah. In, insane. <laughs> One of the best movies ever. So, I think it's I think it's a fair trade off. Definitely. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. God, that movie rules. Um, yeah, and I was so glad to. Uh, uh, John Hyams had a new movie that was playing the Toronto International Film Festival, which I just got back from, which was an absolute blast. And it's a COVID slasher written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote. Oh Scream. my god. And I yeah, wait. I went to the midnight screening. That thing ripped. It's literally 80 minutes and it skips. Imagine Scream, but it just skips everything in the middle. It's literally just the opening <laughs> scene and then the house set piece. And that's all it is. God oh, damn. That's sick. <laughs> So it. it was it was an absolute blast. And John Hyams actually even tweeted out my review that I wrote for CinemaScope. So now we have a connection. Yes. And uh, John Hyams, yo, if you're out there. And, and your buddy, Kevin Williamson, if you want to come on a <laughs> podcast to talk about some movies, uh, yeah. we're out here. Um, and if you want me to like star in one of the movies or be like yes. a main, main character or be like cool or do some action like backflips or something. Yes. Get Cameron. <laughs> Absolutely. Tonight. Yeah. Cameron will do wire work. Uh, we can attest. <laughs> um, but uh, Cameron, as... 
<laughs> As always, we have the guests bring the double feature with them. So what two films have you brought with you this week and why did you pair these together? Um, this week, I have brought you guys a serving of Destroy <laughs> All Monsters from 1968, a Godzilla movie, um, and The Giver from 1991. Uh, which is kind of it's a it's a an anime adaptation that that throws almost or a manga adaptation. I'm sorry that throws almost everything about the manga out the window and does <laughs> Power Rangers instead. Um, and I I paired these two together honestly because they both have a lot of cool monsters. Um, yeah, hell yeah. And they have cool practical effect stuff going on. I guess I would say as well. Um, we got uh, dudes in rubber suits, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the yeah. <laughs> essentially punching each other <laughs> and they're you know what and they're also they're both they're based on japanese source material one of them may also be japanese source material but they're both based on it too <laughs> yeah. ah okay there you go so yeah, a, no, little, I'm, a little I'm, bit of a logic puzzle connection for you yes no that's that's that that's all good i mean definitely i would say that like both of these films have this weird thing where like Clearly, the makers in some way think that they're making or at least we're trying to make something a little bit more serious and adult. And the commercial sensibilities for both of them resulted in the fact that they ended up being kind of children's films. But and having this weird thing, because like D Destroy All Monsters is actually one of the bloodier like brawlers of that era. And the guy for actually, from what <laughs> I understand, we'll get into it when we talk about it. It, it is pretty violent and it was it was supposed to be like way more violent than it is. Like mm -hmm. it was last minute turned into like a Saturday morning cartoon style thing. It was meant to be a very dark and serious and like R rated movie until all very last minute, the producers changed their mind and then they had to retool the entire thing, which is why all the effects work looks like it's for a much darker, more body horror <laughs> film <Yeah. laughs> than it actually is. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about one. We're going to be talking about Destroy All Monsters. And then we're going to follow it up and we are going to talk about The Giver and our, our good pal Screaming Mad George, one of the best just effects artists of, of all time. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's going to be a good time. But uh, yeah, that being said, I think we're going to jump right into it here. Let's start off with Destroy All Monsters. Right. We are talking Destroy All Monsters, the 1968 Japanese kaiju film directed by one Ishiro Honda and the ninth film in the Showa era Godzilla franchise, which obviously started with the original 1954 film and I believe concluded around 1975 with the terror of Mecha Godzilla. And yeah, this is a fun one to talk about. And partially the reason we wanted to do more Shora, Showa era last week was because Destroy All Monsters, um, in a lot of ways, was meant to be kind of like the culmination of the entire series, and it was meant to be kind of Honda's swan song. Like, the final Godzilla film is kind of how it was marketed and pitched as until it was, like, one of the most financially successful they ever made. <laughs> and then, obviously, and like, Let's they keep had this to, train going. 
Exactly. <laughs> they had to kind of keep keep that going. But but I'd recommend uh, for obviously any of the patrons out there to go back and listen to last week's episode because we were able to kind of do a little bit of an overview of the Showa era that we can't get too into in this episode. Um, but we have done episodes on the original Godzilla and, you know, mm. how it, it was like, you know, directed by Ashiro Honda, who directed this film, who was a filmmaker who was very interested in very serious subjects about science and economics and politics. And obviously that original film is like considered one of the greatest you know, sort of pieces of pop art anti-war filmmaking where it is like a great monster disaster movie with technically audacious special effects with all the men in suit stuff and the miniatures and matte paintings and live action compositing. But also, as Jamie and I talked about on that episode that you can go back to, like an incredible sense of 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 mood and doom and calamity and like the incredible black and white inky photography that just, you know, it's about yeah. scientists reckoning with like the responsibility of man-made destruction and, you know, the psychological fallout of, you know, the the atomic bomb. And, you know, it's it's a very, very like heart-wrenching and traumatic kind of drama in a lot of ways that many of obviously the Godzilla franchise sequels uh, not you know not really <laughs> there's a little bit in Hedora yeah. there's a little bit in some of them I guess but there's always like a, a lot of more uh, vibrant especially like the colors and stuff everything gets a lot poppier as it goes along um, and the the mood or at least the the do like the doomed mood kind of gets stripped a little bit there's always you know tons of destruction so you you still see cities just get wiped out and all of that but there's just it, because of that like lack of mood there's just a little less fear in it all it's it's more just fun as they as they go along yeah i mean we we, we talked about a little bit on uh the episode where we were talking about like godzilla versus mothra and Ghidorah and stuff that you know there were still some serious elements of there of like corporate critique and elements yeah. of the press and the military and sort of political responses to disasters even the mothra film has like a you know a huge sort of uh, colonization quality to it where like Mothra was like the first to be introduced as like a sort of ancient protector of an indigenous island who is mm -hmm. being violently colonized you know like they're and and but obviously also in a movie where Mothra gets to just like lift motherfuckers up and drop them places and spray them with webbing and like blow wind in their faces like all of the great things that Mothra gets to do because she's a queen yes but <laughs> you know he he started as the sequels went on he started adding in more sort of goofy kind of comic book shit like there were like assassinations of attempted assassinations of princesses and extraterrestrials and like spy thriller sci-fi comedy elements and starting interlocking all these films together kind of with plot and you know things started to get a little bit more tired and ridiculous and like you could just tell that they were having a hard time coming up with situations for these monsters to keep having to fight one another and, <laughs> yeah. and Godzilla obviously too started doing really silly shit like the little manga heroic leap that he does i forget what they call oh, yeah, it like or when he's like or dabbing on people like he's yeah. Just, yeah yeah i, I mean i yeah, enjoy he, it but uh it definitely yeah. you know it, it takes away that that fear that the first one gives and the first i mean i mean maybe two or three uh and and then he just starts getting into like because he, he kind of becomes a an anti-hero in a way right like it, he doesn't he's not just the the villain they use him to save the day constantly so 
Yeah. They make yeah. him like well, a I mean, mascot he, kind of thing. I guess. Exactly. Like he, he became a bit of like a, a yeah, that's the right word, like a mascot. He became like this sort of amusement park part of, you know, Japan's burgeoning consumer yeah. culture. And, and you know, it, it became this big thing where even Honda, by the time he made Astro Monster and they have Godzilla doing the dabbing and shit that he's doing, <laughs> uh, Honda himself, he's very famously quoted saying, I did not create Godzilla for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is around the time that he stepped out and let people like Fukuda come in and do things like Abira, Horror of the Deep, or mm-hmm. Son of Godzilla, where they introduced <laughs> his fucking his Manila. his absolute his fail son Manila, who <laughs> just every film that he shows up, he does nothing. He blows like a smoke ring, and like that's and his the, move. The ugliest character <laughs> of all time in anything ever. Yeah, at least he's not even Godzilla. like cute, really. Uh, yeah, he's just like kind of actually disgusting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like in this, uh, and we'll we'll get to that scene, of course. But how he's like grunting oh, yeah. the, the the revolution against <laughs> Ghidorah, Ghidorah or whatever. By the end, he's the first one that shows up to defend the mountain. Um, I thought that that was kind of funny, but it's because he doesn't end up doing fucking anything, which we'll get to. But yeah, Manila is quite the character. <laughs> Yeah, no one yell at us. I know that there are there is a burgeoning Manila community out there. I'm not a hater. Uh, we're gonna I'm be just talking. Also, not a lover. You know, they're yeah. they're, they're stupid. I can't. Hey, as as the <laughs> as a Godzilla fan, I'll call them out right now. You guys are wrong. You guys are dumb. <laughs> I don't care. Get mad at me. Send the emails. Yeah, to throw it. He throw it sucks, all, dude. He's a, throw it all at Cameron. We'll link to his email down in yeah. the description. <laughs> yeah, post my phone number. Get call me. Death threat me about Manila. I don't care. I can take it. <laughs> um, but as a result. Uh, as they started moving more into like, you know, like again, Fukuda, as we talked about last week, doing things like Abira, he started taking cues from like the sillier Bond films and like Tarzan yeah. and adventure serials and was like very overtly targeting children um, with the with the films in a way that not that they didn't have like a children's audience before, like Honda definitely did. Like there were already, you know, toys of Godzilla and stuff, but they just, they really leaned into that in a way where they started losing an audience that those movies actually kind of weren't doing super well for them. And Mm. they, to revive box office interest in a way, and to also just conclude this franchise, they brought Honda back and they were like, we need to do one big culmination, put all the monsters in, in one movie you know, interconnect them all, you know, do it. The original MCU, you yeah. know, model, they were like, <laughs> Honda, we need it. We need the, we need Godzilla's big old Avengers movie. And we got it in probably the, I think probably the best form we could have possibly got it in, in Destroy All Monsters, which is not to be confused. And I think Cameron will agree with me with all monsters attack. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> is that I, I've definitely, one? I, I, yeah, that's the one immediately after this. I usually, when people don't know what to do with the Godzilla franchise, people, or if they don't want to know what to watch and they want to start watching it, and then they, do, then they don't feel like watching them all in a row, which, come on, you should just do that. Um, <laughs> I usually am like, watch the original and then watch Destroy All Monsters. And a few times people have like, are like, okay, I'm watching that one you told me to watch. Uh, it sucks really bad. It's about a kid being bullied. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't watch that one. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie, I don't think you've seen that one yet, but like literally it's just a bunch of like reused stock footage from previous movies cut together with new footage of like a kid who's being bullied and then imagining himself like allegorically on what if he was on Monster Island and he was like Manila. So it's literally just like a little (laughs) kid and a Manila film and that's it. Believe it or not, that All Monsters Attack is one of 
uh, apparently one of Ashiro Honda's favorite Godzilla sequels. You really? gotta love them. Yeah. You wow. gotta love them. Well, I'll see it one of these days, but I, I hate when I hear that it's a a recut film with a bunch of footage you've already seen. That usually tends to just be kind of boring and a cash grab, I find. So it, it's worked in a couple of things that I've seen, but it, it doesn't uh, normally. They do. If there's one thing that they, if you end up watching it, there is a really good bully uh, kaiju that that Manila gets like is that steals Manila's lunch money, essentially. Um, <laughs> so you can look forward to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well uh, and you know what? We needed the, we needed the, you know, you have to watch Son of Godzilla or else who, how will you know who Manila is? How will you know who Kamonga, the giant spider is? Exactly. You know, like it's, this is really important stuff for this big grand finale, which includes many of Godzilla's friends. No King Kong conspicuously no, enough no um, i did i have to say some of my favorite moments were because i haven't seen all of the some of these monsters just have singular movies that they haven't been with godzilla mm -hmm. before and uh it was fun for me to see a couple new ones and then watch list all these movies and be like i need to see them in their original form because uh, there are like i don't know 12 or something like yeah, close there's to a it ton. um and, yeah i wasn't I, I didn't recognize all of them so that was kind of fun yeah, yeah, all is, the stars are cool. here. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love. I do like that they brought in a bunch of um, a bunch of of kaiju that just are not. They're not even Godzilla kaiju at all. Yeah, like like, like like Manda and like Gorosaurus. Gorosaurus. Varen. Yes. And yeah, one Baragon. of my favorites was um, and you probably know the name, the one with the the long neck and he like twists around the subway and breaks it. Yeah, that's that Manda. Yeah, and He's that from, one, he just has, like, a, a movie called, like, a starts with an A. Atragon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I watch-listed that, and I just, yeah, I realized that some of these weren't even in the Godzilla universe, so they were just really throwing every monster that they had, yeah. uh, <laughs> which I got to respect. That's pretty awesome. Designs yeah, well, it's funny, too, like, like, the the, the, like this whole movie, it, it's 89 minutes, and it's basically written around getting all of these monsters into a single movie. Like, they invent yeah. this, this is the first one that takes place, despite being a science fiction franchise, like, in the future. I think this is supposed to take place in, like, 1999. Yeah, with And it's world supposed to peace. be a time... <laughs> yeah, humans have achieved world peace. I, I loved yeah. when that happened. <laughs> yeah, um, that was great. Good year. And... All of Earth's monsters have been rounded up and kind of kept safely confined on Monsterland, which would later in future films be referred to as Monster Island, but it is actually Monster Land. Mm -hmm. And chaos essentially erupts when a race of aliens known as the Killax free the monsters from the island and start mind controlling them to basically attack major cities around the globe and a mission ensues to kind of disrupt the mind control signals and unleash the monsters back at the aliens once they can free them. And that is it. That is, yeah, that is gonna... the, the, like it's so simple and they get you into the monster destruction in like under five Instantly. minutes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even think um, the aliens have a motivation outside of just like, no, we're here now. Like, it, it, you're, it's going to be violent if you don't let us stay in the area that we've taken over. It doesn't seem like they have <laughs> much of a, a backing for that reason at all, which I, I found kind of funny. They're like, no, we're just aliens and we're we're taking over the planet. That's just what we're doing. Well, yeah, what I, we do. I, think, I think Honda learned his lesson from like things like Astro Monster because there were so much time spent on huge plots, like explaining the aliens plan and giving <laughs> us so much about who they are and their backstory. Yeah. And yeah, so w with this one, 
you know, it's not to say that it doesn't have a fair amount of human stuff in it, but the human no. stuff that he chose to focus on is actually like the action stuff. There's a lot of there's more shootouts yeah. in this. There's more yeah. of like the human stuff is like this kind of cool, like economically shot, like men on a mission sci fi storytelling where, you know, there's just these cool sets and costumes and they're doing like laser shootouts and spaceship chases and, you I know, trying the... to help the monsters in the background of the set pieces of the monsters destroying everything. Yeah, yeah. I, love I think. This. I think, oh, sorry, I think the, the, the aliens not having kind of a clear motivation in this one completely still works too, because it's, it's one of those things where I think once you're, you're kind of, you're nine movies deep into a series, <laughs> um, you can kind of shorthand stuff and it's, and it just like you in the Godzilla series, you know, anything from space is evil and that's just, that's, <laughs> that's it. And you really don't have to think about it anymore and it doesn't feel you know, maybe if this was the first Godzilla movie you ever watched, you'd be like, okay, what, well, what do they want? But it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's such a, a good and, and yeah, it's very clear what fat to cut off and, and he, he did it right. He knew yeah. the aliens could just be evil aliens. Yeah. I also love the, the scale of it all. Like you go from, you know, ground level, you have underground facilities, you go to the moon a bunch of times, like you go to Paris, uh, uh, Tokyo, New York, like there's just, there's so much that happens in this and they go to so many different places there. It's, uh, it just feels huge in scale. And I, and that is obviously appropriate when you're going to include like 12 different monsters, uh, some of which don't even seem to make a lot of sense with like what their powers are. Like there's the one that looks like the T-Rex. And at one point I think it's underground in Paris. And I'm just like, how did that thing get underground? Like what is, <laughs> what, what is it? What is its powers? Really? It didn't, didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm still just having a blast. Um, yeah, that, that, that moment's actually sick. Cause they, cause Gorosaurus, yeah, he's like under the ground and he just like somehow comes out of the ground, like underneath the giant arch. Like he's a tremor in, or something. Paris. Yeah, and yeah. and the like in order to do that, they actually basically had to build like this giant stack that was like six feet off the ground, and then actually have the puppet literally like break through by pushing it through with like a forklift or something like that. Oh, wow. So they they do a lot of really cool like very large scale miniature work that's really you know like really impressive and and you know yeah. not to say that there weren't a lot of great effects work in the previous Godzilla films, like even Abira, like for me, like one of the weaker ones still has pretty, you know, solid effects work with oh, like, yeah. the, you know, the giant lobster claws throwing rag dolls out of the boats and stuff like that. Like, like coming it's like out of the ocean cool water. Stuff. Yeah. But you have to appreciate, I think on some level, how just tight Honda was with this stuff. Like, like it, mm -hmm. it, it has great scope framing. It has a really, really deliberate pacing to it. And even the stuff that looks like very clearly like miniature stuff, he shoots it like how you would shoot it if he was shooting real helicopters flying around and real yeah. rockets taking off. And like, yeah. like I, I find that stuff convincing despite the fact that, you know, like it's very obvious that it is, you know, little tiny cars and little tiny rocket ships yeah, it looks flying like off Mr. And, and, Rogers and things like that or whatever at times. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it helps with good sound design and great like pounding score. Like I loved he brought back some of that old school score he did in the early ones, especially in yeah. this one. Yeah. And I think it's great. The pyrotechnics that focuses, are crazy, too. Yeah, there, there's. Mm. Yeah, I found that there were a ton more explosions in this. Like I, I'm used to the miniature work, like crumbling and all of that. But there was a ton of like fire and sparks. And I thought that that was uh, that was great. But I like that he also focuses on, like you were saying, the miniature work not when it's just being exploded or crumbled to pieces. It's also just like the subway traveling during the day. And he'll just put that in to kind of like 
make your mind think about this is what the city looks like right before they destroy that set. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he does a, a great job of setting that up so you still believe when the miniature stuff is is going to shit that um, that it looks to scale and it's real. It's very good. Well, and it just happens so quickly too. Like how fast we go from, you know, like them in the rockets and going around to the moon bases and starting to being confronted by the aliens where they, you know, there's like these sonic rays and smoke bombs being used. And, you know, like they're, you know, they, they have these sort of goofy bond villain esque, uh, layers, but then all of our fave boys, they just, you know, and ladies, they start, making their way around the globe and and in the early scenes when they keep showing how many of them there are i kept thinking of that because i just it's stuck in my head because i just have internet issues that charlie (laughs) rose clip where he's talking to pta is it for like magnolia or whatever that he's doing where he's like he's like you have this character you have this character he's just naming all of the characters in his movie and pta just goes they're all there they're all there (laughs) that it, it, it 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 locks that satisfying quality in my brain that that childlike quality of like oh yeah there's rodan here there yeah. he is he's he's flying through shit he's he's hunting briefly for dolphins because apparently there was this whole thing he, honda was going to throw in here yeah. that was going to be like about you know the he was actually going to start explaining that the aliens were trying to like create hybrid monsters through interbreeding and experimentation. And he wanted to delve into like how the humans would have had to create like a a farm, an underwonder farm system to like be able to feed these monsters and actually pacify them on the Island. A lot of this stuff obviously hit the cutting room floor for ways, you know, for reasons I can't say are totally wrong. They basically were like, dude, you've made a sick, like 80 minute, monster version of like a samurai rebellion movie like just stick to that we don't need all of these like things that kind of explain why monster land works and stuff and it would have been cool stuff to see and the fact that he thought about it is what made him him but it is again it's part of the reason you kind of have to love this is that it is as bare bones and effective at being bare bones um as it is definitely i think that the monster island stuff that that did survive into this movie. Uh, is, Monster is, Land, Cameron. We oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, God. Hold on, guys. I have to go. Um, but I mean, the, the stuff that did make it into the movie is, is I mean, really great. And I, like, for example, like yeah. stuff like, like a thing like Rodan swooping down and, and eating a dolphin is like just that's an incredible piece of world building to me. That's something that, uh, you know, a, a different giant monster movie I don't think would care about that or think about that at all mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's it's so great and it's also the the concept of of a a an island of monsters is something that's so i think inextricably tied with the idea of godzilla um even i guess maybe i don't know if it is in the eyes of of, of people who aren't you know hardcore godzilla fans but that's definitely one of the first things my brain goes to and it's crazy that it took this long to, to get there that it's a uh, you know all the way mm-hmm. in 1968 that this showed up um, yeah, but I'm really glad it did. It's it, this is a good a good movie for it, and I really it's a, such a perfect opening to just be on that island and then just immediately chaos. Yeah, yeah, and I also love all the um the, the stuff that they did get in as well, like the restrictions that the monsters had, so that they could they weren't escaping or whatever. Essentially, like it yeah. says, the they have a certain perimeter blocker for Rodan, so when he flies, you know, he, he has to stop at a certain point. I think they show Mothra as the slug version. Uh, a bunch of this like red smoke pops up and stops her from going into the water. Um, so I, I like that they at least thought of that stuff too. And that that seemed like 
stuff they definitely should have included because um, I would have liked to hear about all the farming and underwater uh, <laughs> ecosystem and all of that. But I think, you know, wondering why these monsters would just remain on this island is probably a more important fact to establish. So, um, yeah, well, the, well, the Dasher said, like, you can still sense in the movie, like someone thought through yeah. how this stuff would would work. It's just, you know, it, it pops up in like little details like that, which is nice. Like, it's always nice yeah. when like you're watching something that's working as this economic whole. But like there are little moments that you know, reveal that aspect to it. And you know that someone has kind of thought through more, even the alien civilization stuff. Like it's, it's obviously it's kind of confusing for exact motivation reasons, but it's funny <laughs> the details they bring up about how everyone's like, yeah, so they're like from one of those asteroids between Mars and Jupiter. And I was like, that's a very specific <laughs> place to be from. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's cool to see that kind of that level of detail too. Um, especially, you know, immediately following uh, Ebera and, and son of Godzilla of, you know, this is, this is definitely more, uh, an Ishiro Honda movie. Um, mm -hmm. and it came after two very June Fukuda movies. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, it's, it's this It definitely feels like he's kind of like, he's, he's grabbing the controls back in a way and he's doing something that's, that's serious and thought out. And it may be kind of still directed at, at children and more of like, you know, an action romp than, uh, than, uh, you know, a brooding, meditation on on war or whatever but mm -hmm. um you can really just feel him at the controls here yeah even yeah because i mean even even stuff in this that you would think might feel chintzy or or campy in it because there is like goofy sci-fi elements with the aliens <laughs> yeah and, but but even when they get into like violent shootouts it's like they're wearing these creepy gas masks or they're using laser pistols and you actually see like the shot go through someone's forehead and blood come out or yeah. you know and, oh and, and the stuff that seems scared like, the shit feels, out of me yeah. as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also find he just has a better eye for how to like frame the things that he's doing. Like things like feel more grand and like dangerous, even yeah, just things like of the monster stomping around. Or I like that one moment where they're getting into like a political argument and there's this great shot like framed behind a character's head where the two faces are in front of him on like either shoulder, basically giving him an impossible choice and, you know, about what he's going to do in the face of this alien invasion. And you can tell that this guy just from this framing is like kind of being pulled in two different directions and is unsure what to do. And what does he do? He literally uh, throws himself out a window and we get a full dummy shot of him falling and mm -hmm. committing suicide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty brutal. Actually, I was yeah. very shocked yeah. at that. Um, this is, it's one of the, it's, it's, I feel like, you know, there's, I love, you know, um, kids media that kind of has a little bit of edge to it. There's yeah. a little bit yeah. of, you oh, know, yeah. poison. That's what this is. And that would, that was, this was 100% that for me. Like I was a huge Godzilla fan as a kid. This was my favorite movie. I'd watch it like so much. And I remember like vividly, like, like hiding behind the couch during that gunfight when the guy gets shot in the head or like covering my eyes when they're, they're like extracting the mind control device from that, that lady. Um, there mm -hmm. is, there is just right. some like, especially right after these extremely children's movies to put a little <laughs> bit of like a bite in here is, is just, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, speaking of the scale again too, like I'm remembering, I think it might even be the opening shot where he just pans up the, the big uh, miniature of the rocket ship that they're going to go up 
uh, on. And it just like, mm-hmm. he, he has a fascination with the technical aspect of stuff too. There's even a moment where a team of uh, the guys are trying to loosen one of the rocks, I believe. And it shows like their wiring getting overheated and setting a flame and all of that. And it's kind of going back and forth. It's just exciting stuff I haven't really seen in a Godzilla film when it came to the human like teamwork aspect of it, I guess. It was kind of cool to see. Um, and then there was also mm-hmm. some great shots in the city where the monsters were... Um, at a certain point there's like two or three monsters that are in the same area and you can see like one in the middle one in the foreground and one in the very background and it's just there's such a scale of destruction and then they start once the smoke starts to rise up there's even a couple really cool kind of like silhouetted shots of the monsters just because the dust has come up so much Um, and it's Moments like that that kind of remind me of the very first one with more of that like horror mood or whatever. But um, yeah, like the actual destruction is not like, you know, it's not this silly thing where like Godzilla trips over some electrical wires <laughs> and, you know, uh, is his big ass lands in a building yeah. or something like that. And he's <laughs> like, oh, no, it's like like by introducing the mind control transmitters, which there is a really hilarious gag, I thought, where they explain how many mind control transmitters there are like around the world. And they're like, there's <laughs> one at the cliffs of Dover. There's one at the of Spain. <laughs> Yeah. The one, yeah, exactly. Like uh, one coconut in Guam <laughs> that has I one love, of these. My so fa- I love the the joke, the gag where like they're looking for the the radio, the mind control transmitter or whatever, and it like open. It's it's that that old guy, and he's talking to a cop, and he has this the weird rock that they, they un- unknowingly is the is the um, mind control transmitter, and he's like trying to give it to the cop, and the cop is being like. I know this rock is really weird, but I don't have time to look into this for you. <laughs> it's just a weird rock, and this is not my job. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like this is the stuff that's funny. Like like it like it still has a sense of humor about itself, but like that doesn't mean it needs to sacrifice like the action being genuinely very grand and dangerous at times. Because like the the set piece that Jamie was referring to, which I believe it was the first major set piece, the one yeah. in Tokyo, right? Yeah. Which which by the way, this is actually only. The the only other film other than the original uh, up until this point where Godzilla actually attacks Tokyo, which also I think brings in so because so, you were talking about how it kind of reminded you of the original a little bit as well. It yeah. actually is the only other one where he is full on doing an assault of Tokyo and it's meant to be scary. So you could finally once again say I forget I forget which sequel it was that has the line. It's my favorite line. I think about it all the time, though. Uh, the bastard spawn of the nuclear bomb. Oh yeah, is is back on his bullshit or whatever it is. It's not that wording, Um, but but it's it's very very solid uh, disaster filmmaking. With I think it's Godzilla, Rodan, and Manda are just fucking laying waste to Tokyo. Like they like Manda's doing a thing where it's like squeezing the subway tracks and destroying the bridge. Yeah, yeah. I just love that detail of using the puppetry to to actually circle the subway and then crush it. It was just it was very cool. That was one of yeah. There's some actual like physics stuff happening there as well as like an incredible use of the dynamic foreground background stuff. Because like when Manda's squeezing that bridge, Godzilla is in the background lighting up the docks (laughs) with his atomic breath in the background and then like just straight up at one point just punches a building that he's walking <laughs> by um and there's like great dollies along the miniature sets and some of my favorite stuff in this is the finally the return to because so many of them i think forget to do this because we were talking about abira and abira shoots a lot of the monster fighting 
in what is basically just like medium close-ups of like two guys in suits like struggling yeah and they're like they're holding on to each other a little bit this brings back like the the perspective framing of like yeah shoot some stuff from ground point of view where you just see godzilla's feet and yeah. Godzilla's feet like Those crushing roads beneath it and stuff like that. Like like re- returning back to some of those while dollying along and then then bringing it out to see the full shot of it. Like it's just yeah, like it's you know, great stuff. Yeah, it, it gives you that it just gives you the perspective of the humans because a lot of the time we do see that full, you know, suit. And then when you see it was kind of like uh, the shot I really loved in Abira, I think it was, um, where it showed the people running back into the facility. But you could see uh, Godzilla's tail dragging along in the background. It just gives like it it really shows you how big these things are and just how much fear it would give people. So, yeah, Yeah, because if you see too many medium close shots of the two monsters, you do at a certain point just go, these are two guys. like These are guy sized (laughs) things, you know, But, but if you do actually create the you know scaled framing like that you can get convinced for much longer that that you know they are doing some crazy shit and also yeah. throwing in like smoke and debris and fireballs and dirt Definitely. everywhere you know yeah. like like it actually has elements to it yeah. i think that yeah the 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 pyrotechnic stuff in this in this movie is like off the charts i think it's insane um mm-hmm. and i do think it helps a ton with with you know this kind of uh, there is there's a suspension of disbelief that i think you have to go into every almost every kaiju movie uh you know and with that'll i you know personally i find it very easy to even if they're not doing any kind of framing for scale or or you know slowing down footage to give stuff heft or weight or anything i can pretty easily look at and be like okay this is a monster because i've you know i watched so many yeah. of these as a kid that I, that's in my brain already. Um, but in a movie like, like this where, you know, maybe somebody even, even with a shot looking up from the ground, somebody might cross their arms and be like, Oh, that's a guy in a rubber suit. Uh, you know, the next second there's a fucking giant red explosion and there's laser beams shooting across the screen and you really can't stay mad at all for long. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it just, keeps it's going. just, it's just cool. Even if you don't think that rubber suits are cool, which I think they're really <laughs> cool, but I know a lot of people don't. Um, you see an explosion in 10 seconds, like just, just sit and watch it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I like too that you have to, because of all the monsters, they have to shoot some of them in just different ways just to kind of emphasize their powers or how big they are compared to Godzilla or the, the city that they're destroying or whatever. So just, just putting all these monsters in there kind of forces them to give you like new perspectives on how they would shoot it, which is uh which is a cool thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, it's so funny that some of the pleasures of this movie is just like a random monster popping out of nowhere. And you're like, (laughs) why weren't they there the entire time? What like Mothra will just like break through the ground at a certain point. You're like, Mothra, what were you doing down there? (laughs) Like. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on? Or like the the great like POV shots of the helicopters and tanks like rolling up to Tokyo to like fight them. But even like knowing that they know at this point the monsters are being mind controlled, but they're obviously still just scared of the danger that they can do. Oh, and also, um, how do you say his name? Uh, Angiris is Angeris. that is that Angiris? Um, he. I, I don't remember which one that he is from, but he's cool. I he's wish that he was more of, again. Yeah. That's what he's from. Guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's kind of underrated. I like he's, him. I like him when he shows up. He's, yeah. he's, he's Godzilla's bro. They work together. Yeah. That's, that's their thing. Usually um, he's in, if you, there's some, there's have, they have some good, a good uh, anger suit in um, 
Godzilla Final Wars. I, I know you have you guys haven't ventured much beyond the show mm. era, but no, not uh, yet. There's there's a good. I need to watch that. That's when that's. I don't think Angerus. Do, I think that's the first time that Angerus does his thing where he rolls up into a ball and launches at people. Um, oh, that's which sick. Is, <laughs> you got to do that if you have a spiky back. Come on. Yeah, that's awesome. put that in from movie one. Yeah, and, and, and this one he's doing a lot of like stepping on tanks. Although he does get one of the sickest moments in the big finale, which we'll get to. But he get he does get like one of the best Ghidorah attacks of of anybody. Yeah. Um. Because because in, in in this first set piece, it, it's all Tokyo, and then Angira shows up and helps Godzilla take on some of the tanks. So he's like helping him step on the tanks and it leads into the actually it leads like, you know, it directly leads into like a second forest set piece, which is a really interesting set piece because it's the kind of thing that Honda was better at than most of the other filmmakers who who made these films, which was that he always found a way that even though there's a lot of human stuff and same with the original Godzilla film, I think a lot of people forget how much human stuff that movie has, but like <laughs> it's good. And, you know, it might not be the most like in-depth stuff, but like he actually does a pretty cool set piece here, which is just three dudes trying to escape Godzilla because we're back introducing like the fear of it and actually doing it pretty effectively. And there's it's actually just like a creepy suspense sequence where Godzilla is walking around. It's more of a sequence out of like Jurassic Park where these guys are just like kind of down below hiding behind logs while they can kind of see him in the background, like looking for them. And there's this part where they go into like a cave and they can't see it because they're looking towards the camera. But in the background, there's very clearly like giant monsters, like kind of like shuffling around and, you know, they're kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. And it leads to these further sequences with the sort of like men on a mission aspects getting in where we find out that like part of this cave is to do with like a, like a base that's connected to this cool, like lunar outpost that the aliens have. And then all of the human characters in order to get the monsters to stop just destroying Tokyo, (laughs) uh, they have to, you know, jam that monster controlling signal. So for a brief while, it just turns into this, the sequence of like humans, like looking at maps and making intense faces of the soldiers while they're like flying low to the surface of the moon, like observing the craters. And they have like this glowing UFO chasing them. And there's this crazy moment where they land the rocket in the moon and there's just like flamethrower trap holes and like giant <laughs> space drills and stuff. It's just cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I also, I, I just love going back to the old designs of the UFOs, like just the saucer. Yes. And they have so many moments where they, they show them. And one specific that I absolutely love is when they go into the underground facility of the Killax and, uh, and, and see the UFOs kind of go out this like portal. Uh, and right. there's just some really fun miniature work of these like very fifties UFO saucers just going into this pink portal and boosting off into space. Uh, it, it's, it's just a lot of fun and I love the throwback of that kind of design. Absolutely. Well, and, and two, uh, it's worth, it's worth noting that, um, the, the, kind of effects work it translates really really well to this human stuff as well because like you have the human stuff's like inside spaceships and it's just a bunch of guys in like goofy suits like clearly on an intense mission and then the exterior stuff is kind of some solid chase stuff like even with oh, like yeah. the, as, as jamie was talking about with like the ufo uh, imagery like chasing them down and then going into this fire trap thing where once again the scale really helps them but like they're just straight up using real flamethrowers and yeah. actually building, you know, this big rocket that they built. Uh, I, I can't remember. Yeah, it was it was one meter or three feet 
and it was like a full model thing and it was like made of solid wood and they did like multiple layers of is that the one they fiberglass and paint yes oh okay like it's a great model yeah it's awesome it's very awesome that is that's why kaiju movies are the best genre of movie because they're the movie that you can see the most real fire in and there's nothing cooler (laughs) than seeing real fire in a movie it's always awesome (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to see like a spaceship, which apparently they did fully functional landing gear and engine work <laughs> inside fuck. of, just get lit up by real flamethrowers. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, like this is this is the movie for that. And and just before you think that like that's it, like we're an hour in and we've already seen basically nonstop like humans planning these crazy sci-fi missions and getting into laser gunfights and flying to the moon and just nonstop monster destruction. You're just like, okay, what else do you got? And it just ends on a giant set piece, and that's it. <laughs> it's just yeah. all of the monsters finally make it's their the- way to the Killex base on Mount Fuji. And the monsters have the mind control device has been deactivated and straight up. He just he just delivers the goods. He's just like, you know what you're here for. The (laughs) monsters, not even mind controlled, still want to brawl. And we're even going to bring in like an announcer to call it like it's like a final battle. (laughs) royale on the radio, you know, (laughs) every single monster shows up and gets like a great action beat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, except for yeah, Manila. It's, it's of unreal. Even even Manila, even Manila. This is the he, he takes gets credit. to shine a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, he takes like false well, credit. He 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 goes over the dead body and is like, I I contributed, right, guys? I did it. But I did but a hey, job. at the very least, Manila had Manila was a little brave. Okay, he, 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 was. he was the first to arrive. Yeah, yeah. As, I, as the announcer calls out. Yes, and I don't know if you guys have ever played a, like a ring toss game or something, but what he did, it was pretty tough. Getting that, yeah. getting that ring over Ghidorah's head. I don't know if I could have done that with my with my atomic ring. <laughs> no. It, it is I, funny how in Son of Godzilla, you know, we're, we are meant to see some improvement from that film because his, his smoke rings were just terrible in that film. Um, in this one, he's got a little bit more control over them. And maybe because he's got the he's got all his his buddies helping him behind him from Monsterland. Yeah, he's got Because the, the announcers are there. The military is there. Godzilla pulls out leading the charge. And you've got all of them. Again, you've got Rodan. You got Mothra, you got Angerus, you got Manda, Baragon, Kumongo even shows up at the very last minute, the spider from Son of Godzilla, Gorosaurus, and just in case you didn't think that that was like enough... They were like, yeah, let's bring Ghidorah back. Yeah, you know, the big baddie. Ghidorah, Ghidorah is like not in this movie at all. And then in literally, <laughs> it's just w- once again, the jo- one, yeah, one of the joys of this film is that a random monster that has not been even introduced yet just like shows up at some point. And at and one like, point, you have he, to be you just have. Yeah, Ghidorah flies in and obviously Ghidorah is meant to help the aliens because he's a space monster. And, you know, so that's the connection. They were like all of Earth's monsters versus, you know, the representative of the aliens. And there is this amazing shot in this moment where Ghidorah flies down. He is like looking at all of the monsters who have kind of like organized themselves like a gang. And I even tweeted this shot out because it literally looks like (laughs) the shot of Pablo Schreiber and 50 Cent in his gym hanging out with his bros in his garage that happens in den of thieves when he's about to like jump the kid who comes over like it's literally just 
tough guy posing, you know, they're, they, they got, they, you know, they're flexing a little bit, you know, they're, they're just, it's a POV shot of them, of Ghidorah flying over them while they all just stare at him. And you just have like eight monster suits all like, we're going to fuck this dude up. And as if, you know, like it couldn't be more clear that that's what the shot is. They basically spend the remaining 10 minutes just curb stomping Ghidorah to death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's wild. It's yeah, like, so sick. <laughs> it's he appears so, so cool. very powerful at first too. Like he's got the the yellow lightning coming out of all three heads, and you know I love the yeah. puppetry work. It's fucking awesome to just watch those heads move and scream and and fly around and all of that. But very quickly, it's just like they're they're taking them down. They're at a certain point. You're right. They literally just circle beat all three of the heads. They <laughs> all three of the heads are just like lying down in the dirt, and they're all just stomping and stomping and stomping. They're they're literally like. <laughs> picking them up so they can like throw them down again like yeah he's actually at a certain point um i don't know how often you actually see the monsters bleed but Ghidorah actually bleeds which i thought was yeah. uh, very interesting cuz i don't remember seeing that a lot anyway um yeah, and uh, I would they say really this wanted is, to kick his ass in this <laughs> this was i think the bloodiest godzilla movie up to this point but then yeah. godzilla versus gigan came around which i don't know if you've seen but if you no, like if you liked seeing big monsters bleed you should check that one out oh, it's kind of it's kind of shocking <laughs> yeah i definitely do i i, I just could I, I think it's a good place to save it for because it's like the the big baddie that all eight of them or ten of them or whoever many there are uh have to defeat and so you know to bloody it up a little bit gives a a little bit just more power to it i think but um yeah, yeah it was it was a little shocking i wasn't expecting it yeah well yeah because because I, I think it's um Angerus is the one who is uh biting Ghidorah's neck yeah and he's biting it so hard that it starts to like leak blood everywhere and also Ghidorah at one point takes off Mm -hmm. with him hanging from Ghidorah's neck. And it's basically just like this giant horned turtle just holding <laughs> on to Ghidorah's neck as he flies further and further away until he gets, you know, he gets so high up and he eventually drops and falls. And it's cool because you, we've seen a lot of this kind of stuff before where like Mothra will pick guys up or like when Mothra yeah. is like dragging Godzilla by his tail and stuff like that, which <laughs> is always fun. Um, in this one, when Angerus falls, it's like that he causes like this massive avalanche and like again yeah. all of the destruction is just so heightened like things are bloodier when they fall they leave huge impacts and they're super hurt like at, at a certain point you think Angerus is like about to get killed like a like a, a an animal who's been flipped over and its stomach is revealed or something like that right. you're kind of scared for him for a little bit and then but no it doesn't matter because Gorosaurus is going to show up and for some reason do the sickest drop kick you've ever seen in your life <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that boy was swinging his weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, just, it's not what you expect because he's designed like a T Rex, and I've just never seen a T Rex <laughs> drop kick someone that's before. The, that's the thing about that character I could never get my mind wrapped around was I think he's the same character that does the Paris tremor attack, and you're like, it's yeah, a T Rex. Yes. So, what is this? Like, it's like he doesn't, yeah. he, his powers that he holds just don't connect to his body well, type. Yeah, they're mysterious nice. even to him. Yeah, and then exactly. you think, maybe, like, and then you think, oh, maybe I should watch the movie he's from to see maybe that explains it and no he's also he's just a T-Rex <laughs> <laughs> they're like we just have to up his powers even if they don't make sense but I really liked it I thought it was very entertaining yeah. um, I also like that they connect to that one moment where um, the the I, I always forget the name you just said it. it was the one that falls from Ghidorah's neck and Anguirus. then yeah Anguirus. uh 
it, it connects to the the landslide that reveals the facility that Godzilla eventually destroys. Right. So there's all these like connecting things in that in that final sequence that are pretty pretty good too. Yeah, like they, they, they definitely like develop things well. I wouldn't say it goes quite as far as the inventiveness as uh, Hedorah no. that we were talking about last no, week, where like quite. Hedorah as a monster just has like three different forms. Yeah. And Godzilla, you, you can actually see logi- like Godzilla's like psychology at work as yeah. he is like going, okay, like putting my fist into him, it's, it, it's melting my hand. So I need to like find a different way of approaching this attack and at a certain point like the end of that is like Godzilla using three different tactics depending on what form he's in and like you have watched him like the logic of him figuring that out which is you know so this doesn't quite have that but that's just because also I think it's 11 monsters and they're kind of like you know this is an 89 minute film (laughs) yeah you know we it's it's go ahead it's also I think the I feel like one thing about this versus you know um, Godzilla versus Hidorah is um, Godzilla, like Hedora, at least monster wise, uh, I was, is a pretty huge departure, uh, for the series. Like I think mm, that, yeah. um, the Godzilla series really up to this point, up to destroy all monsters. It's, it's really about like, you know, big animals and big dinosaurs, um, yep. essentially. Yes, for sure. And, and this is, it's, it's, it's such a great culmination of that. And it's incredible that, I mean, if we pretend that all monsters attack doesn't exist, then it's incredible then that, <laughs> you know, destroy all monsters can come to this culmination of like, okay, so we have a bunch of really simple monsters. We're going to put them all on in the same place and they're all going to fight. And then, you know, uh, three years later or whatever, it's like, okay, now we're going to completely reinvent what a Godzilla monster is also. And we're going to go right, back to the yeah. roots in a different way. Um, it's just, it's very, it's very impressive. Yeah, I'm very yeah, satisfying. Yeah, this is, this is definitely, like, I think as good of a culmination as we could have gotten of, you know, like, the brawler sequels that were very yes. simple and very to the point of, of what they are. And I think I even the stuff that in other ones I haven't liked, like in Astro Monster, a lot of the sci-fi alien stuff in that doesn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that there's some fun stuff in Astro Monster, but I think that's one of the weaker elements of it. Uh, in here either because it's so brief or because when it shows up, it's actually in like pretty cool shootouts and chase sequences and stuff. I just, I found it like not annoying at all. And I found it like a lot of fun and how it culminates with, and again, you never really figure out exactly what it is that they're, what like that's going on, but you do understand that they go, Hey, the things from space that are, uh, sort of, they are outdoing us in terms of technological destruction and capability. Let's just uh, let's just beat them up. <laughs> and as, as as far as that yeah. goes, uh, this gets pretty effective and also pretty savage because when they again just curb stomp Ghidorah to death and make him bleed to out death. everywhere and like literally like his his jaw will be you know he's basically unconscious on the ground bleeding out and they will pick his head up and start like yanking on his jaws and biting his ass and then Mothra <laughs> and Kamongo are like webbing him from the sidelines like everyone is getting a shot in here even Manila gets to blow his one smoke ring <laughs> and then stand on top of Ghidorah's cor- corpse doing a big old you know like celebration for, for everyone and then they still throw in the, they still throw in one <laughs> yeah. last set piece of the flying saucer who is like flying around th- through buildings yeah, as fire dragon. The fire, fire dragon yeah the fire dragon yeah just setting cities and islands like completely ablaze and like you know invulnerable to the atomic breath and 
yeah, they they end up doing this whole thing where Godzilla has to blow up their underground layer, which was revealed by Anguirus falling with that Jamie was referring to um, yeah. earlier. Um, and and also they get to use, obviously, the Japanese spaceship, which I think was part of what they wanted to do. They wanted to be like, hey, look, we have some cool technological devices, too. Yeah. So we get to like <laughs> shoot down the alien spaceship. You know, I like that. They also even after that, I think um, when they go back to Ghidorah's dead body, there's like a rumbling in the ground. And then he gets um, I, I'm pretty sure it like crumbles apart and he goes into the ground as well. So they they show a lot of disrespect towards Ghidorah, <laughs> which is just fun to watch, honestly, just because he's supposed to be the big space baddie and all that. But um, but yeah, I, I love the, the the scale of this thing. It's just so insane. Yeah. Something else that's insane about this too that you know I think it deserves a ton of credit for is especially for a Godzilla movie that has this many monsters in it. There's almost no stock footage at all. If mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, I that's think true. the only stock footage in it is the um, the appearance of Ghidorah when it's that those like flames that that form into Ghidorah. I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that they've reused from a previous movie, which to have this mm-hmm. many, this many monsters and this many set pieces and this many tell. just like, you know, short clips of monsters stepping on buildings and stuff. I feel like normally in the Godzilla series, they do a lot of, they do a lot of cheating with that. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they all, they pretty much don't at all here, which is like insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, that's, that's, de- that's definitely like a huge credit to, to, them and, and to Honda because you could t- definitely Toho was always looking for ways to <laughs> cut the budget down. So, you know, you, you know that they were definitely annoyed when he said, no, no, no I'm going to shoot all this. And I mean, I, I do want, I do know that they reused most of the costumes for all of this or all of the puppets. Like I think, I think Godzilla and Angiris were maybe the two that they did freshly. I think I can't remember now exactly. I know that there's two that they, they made two new. I think uh, Godzilla suits. was one. Godzilla was one for sure. I just can't remember who the second one is, oh, okay. I, but I know that they did. I read that they did two new suits and then the rest were reused from the previous uh, iterations. I think of, it was Angerous. Um, yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I also I, I would have liked to have seen Abira and King Kong, but you know, I think King oh, Kong, sure. it was like a rights thing. Yeah. yeah and I, I guess think Sarah, and even Abira, you know, claw. I don't love his film, but he's a, a great monster. Yeah. You know, I, I love great. to see a water guy. I think Sanda and Gyro were supposed to be in it originally too. From uh, uh, the uh, why am I blanking on the name? The something called War of the Gargantuas. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, but the the few of the the fifteen who, monsters. This is us. This yeah. is us. We're watching the eleven monster film, and we're like, why aren't there more? <laughs> there needs to be more. Yeah, uh, it's funny to the the Varen and Baragon are, are barely in this because I I their suits were, I think in, in disrepair, their suits were very nasty looking. And so they're not, they're not very prominently featured, which is very, very fun that they're like, you know what? We're, we'll throw these guys in, but we don't really, we don't really <laughs> feel like, you know, doing anything to these suits. So we're, we're just going to throw them in a little bit, just, <laughs> but just add to just the scale. Just keep going. Yeah, just, just boost the numbers a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I also know that. And, and I, I know that Honda, you know, we got to give him a little bit of props on this because apparently in the climactic battle that takes place at Mount Fuji, this battle we've been talking about, there was this whole element of uh, the studio wanted him to reprise the the jumping celebration shot that Godzilla did from Invasion <laughs> right. of the Astro Monster. And uh, they apparently shot it. They did it. And Honda himself cut that out 
and was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> we're not. You have a happy enough ending with all the monsters just living in peace on monster land with like the helicopter shot going over all of them. And, you know, all of them doing the dumb, like open mouthed gaping at the camera. Like, look how cute they are from up here. You know, like that kind <laughs> of thing. He was like, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, that's enough. You don't need <laughs> We we don't need them doing these ridiculous uh, dances, jumping celebrations and dances and dabbing and whatever else they wanted him to do. Um, so, oh, yeah, I think I think that is destroy all monsters. I think we will pivot towards the uh, reductive rating round here. And and for me, this is a very solid, uh, solid four for me. I, I yeah. think that this is is one of the stronger Godzilla sequels. I, I do think that I. I don't find as much depth in this as I do in something like um, Hedorah for obvious reasons. But I also have to understand that um, like this is exactly what it's trying to be. This was meant to be the culmination film. And it is like this very bare bones but effective culmination of the Brawler sequels. And it gets straight to the monsters. Uh, it gets all of the stuff that I previously might have found annoying about this, like having to these like comic book spy thriller and science fiction elements thrown in. Some of that stuff is great in this. Like really, again, like there's full on like men on a mission thriller set pieces of them, you know, flying around on the moon and using flamethrowers and getting into chases with UFOs and politicians committing suicide and laser shootouts with like gruesome headshots. And like that is actually some like the fact that the human stuff in this is also pretty effective action filmmaking it's a testament to honda and again yeah. his framing and then also the just the the analog action sequences that you come to these movies for in both the tokyo set piece and the big finale are two of the strongest of the entire series like like manda Definitely. destroying that bridge while godzilla you can see him fully in the background like that miniature set had to have been fucking huge to have a, that monster that many feet away and look like a full cityscape and everything. And and Honda knows how to shoot all of that for maximum impact and is constantly throwing in the elements of the debris and the fire and the smoke to make it, you know, just that much more destructive. And yeah, I think some might find that it has a few too many bureaucratic like exposition steens stitching <laughs> some of this stuff together. Yeah, a little bit. But I think that for what this is, it fucking moves. And it's really, really nicely shot. And it builds to... It, it does what it says on the on the tin, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. it's like destroy all monsters. <laughs> they're all they're all there. You know, they're destroying <laughs> shit uh, that gives you exactly what you want in 89 minutes. And I think the craft is uh, is is great. And I, I do think that it was really nice that they got Honda back after what they were doing with leaning into the more childish campy elements. And and he you know, he got to do his big culmination thing and it's as good as it is. So as far as a simple bare bones version of this kind of film, I think this is as good as you get. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to like just the brawler aspect of Godzilla, this is this is top notch. Um, and even the uh, <laughs> the bureaucratic stuff like they're they're constantly moving from place to place. Like I said in the beginning, it's going from, you know, like the ground level of Earth to these underground facilities to a moon base. Just there's tons of, of areas that they're going yeah. to. And even when they're communicating with each other through computers, they're always going to different places. So it just it, it does at least feel like it's moving, even when it can get a little dull with the military stuff every once in a while. But I mean, once the monsters hit, it's just unbelievably fun. And the scale is huge. Like 
We've already mentioned it, but the, the I love that the subway destruction with uh, uh, was it Monda? Is that the long Monda? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and the the having Godzilla destroying like another section of the city, but just in the background, it just shows such a scale. And then when the smoke starts rising and they're silhouetted, it actually kind of reminded me of the horror aspects of the first one. Um, so there's a lot to love here, uh, and uh, yeah, I had an absolute blast with it. So I'm gonna give it a a solid four as well. Yeah, I, I I think the how I feel about I've, how much I like every Godzilla movie and which ones I think are better, better than the other ones is always changing. I feel like right now to me, this is also a pretty high four, pretty nice. solid four. Um, I think it is just like this is it's destroy all monsters. I watched this so much as a kid just because of the name. I could I <laughs> this was the one I watched the most um, and it just absolutely delivers. And I think that. Uh, especially in, you know, the monster movie genre, um, a lot of movies don't deliver at all. And I <laughs> yeah. think that it's true. There will probably <laughs> never be a movie like this ever again. Um, just, they kind of did it again with final wars a little bit, but you know, just the way that, that IP and stuff works nowadays, they're never, they just, they won't do a movie like this. Um, yeah, I don't think most likely I just don't, I just don't think it can happen. Uh, and it's and it's so it's really nice that this one exists and it looks so good and it feels so good um, because you can always go back to it. Yeah, yeah, it's killer. Hell yeah, yeah. And also, look like this is the this is the kind of movie that it is. If I wanted the, uh, you know, the the sort of deeper uh, the ideas being thrown in, I'll just go back to Hedorah. You know, yeah. I think that that version of that film, which actually goes, you it know, is. replaces the nuclear holocaust feels with uh, yeah. fears with environmental ones. Um, you know, if I want the crazy psychedelic imagery and the, you know, the the actual critique of the consumer culture that basically created Godzilla as a franchise, which is something that, you know, I think if Honda was able to keep making films or he didn't get so, um, you know, sort of disillusioned with the process with Toho, I think that's what he would have been making movies about. Um, you know, it it just kind of sucks that that guy also got instantly fired and Honda didn't want (laughs) to make any more movies. So as a result, you know, we, uh, the rest of the Showa era, kind of fizzles out a little bit, but I've heard that there is more on the horizon and I'm excited to check out beyond the Showa era, but this was a yeah. great um, summation of it. Yeah. yeah you know, that's that's why the Godzilla franchise is the best franchise ever is because you can get, it does everything. You can get anything yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah. What am I feeling Godzilla like today? In it. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say that. I was, because I'm really just discovering the Godzilla series now for the most part. And, it, you know, th- there are definitely ones I like more than the other, but it, every single one has given me some new sense of what a Godzilla film can be in some way. And that is very interesting to me that they can go from like almost a Saturday morning cartoon thing, but then have such a massive scale of destruction all at the same time. And some other ones or, or deal with something more mature, like in Hedorah. It's, it's very, uh, it's, it's cool. And it, and even when I don't like them as much, I find that the, the new ways that they try to try to attack it is, is interesting. So yeah, it's, it's a very fun and interesting series. And it just yeah, keeps doing forget. that too. Like even it just it just keeps going. They keep doing different stuff. You guys got to yeah. stick with it. You're, you'll love it. I'm definitely going. It's true. To. I, I can't wait to keep going. And speaking to your point, Jamie, I always forget that the Mothra film features a crazy sequence where just a bunch of military members just like massacre an indigenous island. Yeah, I always forget that that <laughs> happens crazy. in that film because you you just you wouldn't expect it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so lots of, lots of things happening. 
check them out. But uh, that being said, I think that's going to wrap it up for Destroy All Monsters. And we are going to be back and we are going to be talking about more dudes in rubber suits <laughs> punching each other to bloody bits. We are going to be talking about the Giver. Stick around. You have the Giver. I am the Giver. The Giver. All right, we are back and we are talking about the Giver, also known as Mutronics. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, Apparently I in Europe so. and South America, Mutronics. Um, it is the 1991 American science fiction superhero horror action film directed <laughs> by special effects legends Steve Wang and Screaming Mad George, real name, and loosely based on the manga series of the same name by Yoshiki Takaya, which I was completely unfamiliar with. And from what I understand, Cameron, maybe not the most accurate adaptation of the material no, ever. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, <laughs> I, I read, I read a poor, very poor translation of it a while ago, so I'm not super well versed in it either, but it is, it's one of those, you know, quote unquote, surprisingly dark, uh, mangas where it's like, a teenager gets is handed unimaginable power and then people around him start dying and stuff. Um, okay. Cause you see hints of that for sure in this. I mean, there's a lot of like real, like fairly gritty violence and the design of these monsters are disgusting. And you know, when people die, they like basically deteriorate and deflate, uh, and just kind of disappear. So like there's, there, there, yeah. There's some darkness in the tone when it comes to the violence. It's just like everything surrounding it in this movie uh, is not that. <laughs> yeah, the plot Which is, is also the plot is is not really has have doesn't really have much to do with the manga at all. The premise, oh, okay. like you know, Zoonoids and and the Coronos Corporation and the Giver and everything. That's and the whole backstory. That's all the same, but the plot is really not. Is really kind of just made up. Okay, is he uh, is is in the manga? Do you know if he's in Aikudo? Uh, Apprentice. Uh, well, he's I, if I remember correctly, I think he's just a, a a kid, and he's also he's like he's Japanese. It's all set in Japan in right. the manga, um, and I think he's just like an an average kid. I don't remember if he does Aikido or not. Okay. Okay. Yeah, like like from everything that I've read about the original thing, it honestly sounds something. It sounds a little bit closer to something like Akira. Like this kid sure. is handed just immense power, and it turns into like this, you know, insanely destructive situation and and for the most part like if you just look at the log line like this kind of is doing something like that although they obviously they throw in there's it, they kind of follow a little bit of a, this fbi agent max max reed played by mark hamill <laughs> of uh yeah. star wars fame which also clues you into why it has a star wars opening crawl that gives you the entire backstory incredible um, <laughs> opening crawl i, I love the simple. opening crawl so much yeah yeah, at, at, at the beginning of time, aliens came to Earth to create the ultimate organic weapon, mankind. <laughs> <laughs> so sick. <laughs> and I, and I, I love that they, they, they drop in all the specifics of the names, too, which is the best part, because they were just like, by planting a special gene, they created the Zoanoids, humans <laughs> who can change at will into super monster soldiers. And the Zoanoid leader, called the Zoalord, <laughs> has arisen. <laughs> And formed the Kronos Corporation. <laughs> That's great. To develop 
the Zoonoid tech for world domination. Yeah, I think Zoonoid is one of the best science fiction terms ever created. I love the word Zoonoid. I think every monster should just be called a Zoonoid. I want to be the Zoa Lord. That shit yeah. is badass. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, and 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 part of the Zoonoid thing is that they made these things called units, which to them are just like regular, like bulletproof vests, like they're just body armor. But if you give a unit to a human. It doesn't, it's not just body armor. It turns into like this, you know, sort of symbiotic creature that merges with your body and gives you super strength, which then turns you into the quote unquote Giver. Yes. And the film opens with uh, Dr. Sagawa stealing one of the units from uh, one of the Zoonoid tech units from Kronos Corp and going on the run, sensing that uh, the evil Zoa Lord could be planning to use it for nefarious purposes and yeah so it does have a very kind of like saturday morning cartoon kind of like there's an evil guy who wants a suit and the suit is instead due to a bunch of ridiculous circumstances it's going to go to like just this average american kid who then is going to you know discover that all of the rage he feels during his like martial <laughs> arts schooling can now be put to good use just fighting a bunch of gremlins. Yeah, and just completely destroying a gang of white thugs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I love that like all the, the thugs themselves, like the um or, or I guess not the the thug you were referring, I guess, to the, the alleyway where he gets where he transforms into the suit for the first time. But even the the goons from the Chrono Corp or whatever are completely like Saturday morning cartoon villains. They're they're doing very violent things that you wouldn't want your kids to see, but the way they act is completely cartoonish and animated and uh just very like like if they had mustaches, they'd be twisting and twirling them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and I, I found like those the, the the tones are so strange in this. They they clash at times, and other times I feel like they're just a lot of fun to to watch. Um, but it, it's a it's a movie that feels kind of like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, fun, no, yeah. it's it's totally it makes it makes no sense. That's that's the <laughs> yeah. main reason that I like this movie is is the tone is just it's it's non-existent. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It seems like it's supposed to be like a kids comedy movie, like a Power Rangers type thing. But there's like there's gore and also like Murder. even besides the gore, you know, they're they're clearly ADRing in a bunch of like Power Rangersy dumb jokes yeah. um, and stuff. But then like they're so and it's like, okay, so maybe it's like power ranger stuff, you know? Yeah. So, and it's like, okay, well maybe they just filmed it with gore and they cut most of it out and they just decided it was going to be a kid's movie. But then they're also a lot of these jokes that they're like ADRing in. It has all these guys like just swearing all the time. Like they just yeah. keep going shit, shit just over and over again. <laughs> it's like, what are you, what are you trying to do? There's yeah. even one of the, though, the, like the craziest part to me is there's one of the like, um, Zoonoid henchman, the woman one, when she transforms into her like zoonoid form, she's yeah. like a, a big hairy werewolf, and she just has her just like her tits are just out. She just like they're it's so crazy. Like yeah. what were they going for? I know it's, it's yeah. Absolutely well, wild. I, honestly, I was so 
taken with whatever it was that ended up happening during the production of this that I actually had to go and find out what happened. And I was able to actually find out what happened because this is directed once again by uh, two special effects legends, Steve Wang and Screaming Mad George. And from what I understand, and also there's some other names to bring up, Brian Yesna as well, oh, who's the producer yeah. here, who is we've talked about many times because he, he obviously directed Society which is where he met Screaming Mad George, who did the effects on that. And you can uh, see those effects inc- like directly correlated with this movie, like the, the slime and just how gross everything looks. I mean, Mad George is here. Yeah, Yezna, I'm assuming, just agreed to produce something for Screaming Mad George because he was impressed by what he did doing the most sexually depraved, like <laughs> repulsively tangible depiction of wealth perversion via you know makeup effects that's ever been done. Yeah. Um, and so Screaming Mad George, I believe, was on this project first. And obviously he was the Japanese American rock musician turned special effects artist who, you know, got started in this industry by doing a lot of his own like surreal, gory music videos for himself. And then eventually got on to doing VFX on a movie called Predator. You might have heard of this oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> he he and Steve Wang, I believe, actually both worked together on the creature design for Predator. Um, and Steve Wang went on to do a couple other things like Monster Squad and Hell Comes to Frogtown. And like, I think he did Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the one about like where they tried to like abort Freddy, the Freddy Krueger baby. I think that's <laughs> the one that that one is. Um, while Screaming Mad George went on to do like really big stuff, like he did Big Trouble in Little China effects. He did the effects for Nightmare 3 and 4, including Ooh. the insanely famous cockroach death scene, which is like one of the, just the most insane deaths in the entire franchise. Definitely. And Screaming Mad George also would go on to do Freaked, which is just some of the grossest like mad magazine caricature art meets like legitimately goopy body horror stuff. That's like non-stop. he is specifically known Yeah, for this like sickeningly slimy effects work that he does and would eventually do other movies that we've covered like Tales from the Hood, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Actually, I think he did Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, which Brian (laughs) Yesna directed. So I need to go watch that. I didn't know that those two were the ones behind that. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, But from what I understand, Screaming Mad George wanted to adapt this manga. He wanted to do these incredible suit effects for it. He he had a vision for how he was going to do it. And the vision was actually one that was pretty dark and serious. And it was pretty like it was basically going to be like an R-rated body horror film. And they had a couple, you know, sort of Stuart Gordon collaborators involved. So there might have been like some so gross, it's kind of funny absurdism to it. But that wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't meant to be like a cartoon, like, haha, like this is, you know, the the actors are mugging for kids. Yeah. Like that was yeah. not at all meant to be the tone. There's not a monster that starts and, rapping randomly. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason Steve Wang got involved was because Steve Wang, who was his friend, was getting involved in um, uh, in action. And so he asked Steve Wang to come on as a second unit director to do the action because Steve Wang was a huge fan of like Hong Kong cinema. And he eventually would go on to do the sequel to this Guyver Dark Hero, which people seem to think is a much better film or, or a better directed film in terms of like the action craft and stuff. And also a direct video film called drive. Oh, it's which good. Is considered. Yeah. Which I've heard is just like one of the best, like Hong Kong inspired, uh, you know, sort of like low budget American action films of the nineties. Yeah, so like th- this is what he was brought on to do. And apparently they were both pretty happy. Screaming Mad George was going to get his like dark body horror anime or sorry, manga adaptation in and Steve Wang was going to get to do a lot of the action for him. And this was what they intended to do. 
Until, do you want to guess what happens? <laughs> hmm, does a, it have to do with a, a studio, maybe? <laughs> yes, a little movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comes out. <laughs> and the producers of the film said, that made money. You are now, I, we don't care what this is, it is now Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they had to rehaul, rewrite, retool the entire movie even stuff that they already made, which is why the monster stuff is kind of gory and creepy looking. Yeah. Because they were like, look, we've already done pre-production. <laughs> we can't like, go back we're... too hard. Like, <laughs> these things look very detailed. So We've already made this shit. Yeah. Yeah. So as, a, so as a result, from what I understand, the producers were just like, yeah, we don't care. We know that you've already started working on it. It is now time to rewrite the entire thing. So now it now it's a Saturday morning cartoon where it's goofy and funny and overacted and you know they were they were like, yeah, now all of a sudden that's what it is. It's going to have a bunch of like children's shtick in it and you need to no matter what the creations are whether they make sense or not, you need to make the characters funny now. And thus the Giver was born. So if you ever think that that thing, if it feels weird, it feels like it clashes. That is, it's basically literally what happened to these filmmakers and yeah. Steve Wang. It sounds as like, you know, I think the actual results are like more, like more successful than they should be. Oh yeah. But oh, Steve Wang listening to an interview that he did with, um, uh, Justin DeClue from the important cinema club or our friends over there did a great interview with him just last year, actually on their show and listening to that interview, he is like depressed by this movie apparently. <laughs> Cause he's like him and screaming mad George had like this whole thing they wanted to do and it just never got made. And he's basically spent the rest of his career trying to get stuff made and not be being able to get nothing off the ground, including in that interview, I learned he tried to get a movie with Steven Seagal made oh. where he was going to have like a three page monologue about the Medi American Medical Association and he oh, was going to yeah. do like equilibrium level gung fu in it and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Come on. <laughs> yeah. So so he tried to get that made for a while. And also, uh, apparently, Steve Wang directed some of the action in Kung Pao Enter the Fist, which is <laughs> something I that. learned listening to that interview. <laughs> I just watched that. He, he must have been a part of the uh, the the guy versus the cow scene. Very good. He he did all of the <laughs> second unit stuff. So all the stuff that didn't have the actual actor, all the ones that were with the stunt guy. He did okay, all that stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. But hey, as a result, the guy because it's by two creature effects artists who worked on things like Predator and Mon doing the Gill Man from the Monster Squad. And also um, Steve Wang worked on Gremlins 2 and mm. was like a mentor or was a ment mentee. I forget what you call it. A pupil <laughs> of the guy who um, worked on uh, who did uh, all the effects work for Aliens. Oh, so wow. as a result, damn this like creature effects work is pretty spectacular to watch and to look at if you get bored by anything else that's happening in this film. That's the thing. Definitely. It just keeps like throwing stuff at the wall. So I never found myself, I was never bored. I, I just found myself at times kind of like there wasn't a lot to chew on with like characterization or plotting or anything like that. So I was really just looking for the next like extreme makeup job to happen in front of me. And then, you know, luckily there's a ton of it. Uh, and so I had a lot of fun with that and all the fighting and, and even though the fighting itself can kind of get into that Power Ranger-esque uh, vibe, um, because there's so much grotesque imagery on the screen while that fighting is happening, I, I kind of liked that contrast a little bit. So yeah, there, there's still yeah. a ton of fun to be had. I just, I do wish that there was a little more in the, the characterization and, and like 
the the plotting or or if the at least the plotting was more interesting or maybe if the characters were more interesting within that plotting but i i do like how many wonderful character actors from movies that we love show up in this like immediately i was like oh hey that's michael berryman from hills have eyes he's got one of the most like recognizable uh, head shapes (laughs) in in all of cinema history basically and 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 a great line in the opening credits and david gale as balkus (laughs) <laughs> and he, David Gale is great as Balkis in this movie. Um, yeah, I will. Ne- I will never get the image of his decapitated head in Reanimator trying to eat out Barbara Crampton. It just—it's ingrained in my head unreal. forever, and it's hor- it's horrifying. Yeah, it makes him a better villain in movies just because you've already seen him do that. You immediately see yeah. him on screen. You're like, oh, this is <laughs> this guy is nasty. I don't fucking trust this guy, man. He's a freak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, about the tone too with this, I, at least for me, I feel like I mean it would have been great to see what they had originally intended this movie to be, yeah. of course. And for I sure. haven't seen uh, Dark Hero, so I don't know, you know, how that how that shakes out. But I do think you know um, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, movies with effects that are are crazy and gory that are dark and and have monsters in them but there are very very few movies that have crazy effects and and gore like this that are supposed to be kids movies and i think that tonal mismatch to me makes this something that's very special and like this is oh, like yeah. you know you you I, normally if i watched a movie that looked like this and i i i went through the normal kind of horror body gore whatever plot beats i'd be like okay yes i've seen this before sure it looks great but on this i'm watching it and every single time I, i'm watching it my jaw is dropping because i'm thinking what on earth are they doing why did they <laughs> do this and it is so yeah. much more engaging to me um yeah, just like because when, it makes no I sense can see that like when you're watching, um, for instance, there's a moment where they're hiding away from one of the monsters, and this monster is one of the 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 lackeys for the corporation, and he always breaks out into rapping. And while he's oh, while God. he's searching <laughs> for them, he's like smacking things around in his monster suit. And it, once again, these suits look like very good. Uh, they, they quite scary, very grotesque, all of that. But he's still rapping while he's like searching for them. So you're 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 kind of freaked out because you're watching this gremlin looking grotesque thing, but he's just doing things that are the complete opposite of terrifying while he's doing it. And so yeah. there's just just constant, constant uh uh, pull, push and pull of, of tones that it, you're right. I think it gives off kind of like this just interesting adventure yeah. that you're on uh it's, it's it's a really good joke to take like a power rangers episode and be like well what if this had like insane body horror practical effects <laughs> yeah exactly and uh yeah and at like 90 minutes i'm, I'm glad that it, it is cut that way because it does feel like if it were to go on i just get kind of bored um because once again the plotting is just it's as simple as like a corporation wants this suit this kid finds the suit they need to get the suit that that is like that is it that's really it absolutely Um, nothing happens in this movie yeah so you're watching it for the i guess humor and for kind of the grotesqueness that's going to come with a yesna and screaming mad george film yeah, yeah, well, and I will say, too, that, like, you know, because Screaming Mad George is, you know, very clearly not not even as, you know, sort of uh, experienced as a director as even Brian Yesno was right. when he was a producer turned director. The, the film is kind of a bit 
sort of like amateurishly made in the way that it's like shot, like just like things about like the the, the framing yeah. and the lighting and, you know, even some of the editing, which is done with like these very <laughs> hilarious, like shaped wipes. Um, I love and, those, and those, even those. <laughs> they are so funny. And like also, you know, like just like general shock construction and direction of actors, like it's very ambitious in terms of what it wants to do with its genre storytelling and with the makeup heavy action effects and everything that it's doing. But, you know, like the way that it cross cuts sometimes could be really haphazard. Like there's tons of establishing shots of the Kronos Corporation building. And there's one time I remembered specifically where it like it establishes the building. It cuts away into a scene inside and then it cuts away to uh, Sean. And it's like, OK, so that scene happened. It's now the next day. And it cuts to us uh, like the kid for like about 10 seconds. And then it's a, an establishing shot of the Kronos Corporation building again. Like we're back <laughs> already there. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you could have just done another scene at the Kronos Corporation building or and the bizarre wipe transitions and stuff. It's, it's very it, it's amateurish in a charming way. Oh, I find yeah. like it's very clearly like it's these guys probably shouldn't have been able to make a movie and they got a movie made because the guy is really good at doing effects work and he did amazing effects work for a guy who produces movies and as a result they were like he's like sure yeah whatever let's do it and as a result like if you look at it from that lens it's like getting away with something like this movie shouldn't <laughs> exist at all yeah. and so when you think about it in that light I was definitely able to kind of get on its wavelength even though when you're watching some of this stuff you do wonder like just what a little bit more shadow or what a little bit more like dynamic cutting and framing could do to some of the actual even sequences of violence that are taking place, even though the tone of it is still, you know, pretty fun to watch, like the bodies expand and transform and they're like grow when they start growing the slimy scales and the, the, you know, the texture of it and everything like that. Like in the opening scene when they're chasing Dr. Sagawa through the concrete riverbed and Michael Berry, man, just like shows up and I'm just like, OK, well, this guy is clearly a bad guy because he, he I've only ever seen him in Hills Have Eyes and in <laughs> fucked up Rob Zombie movies. Yeah. Um, and he, he gets to turn into like a big old like creature from the Black Lagoon style yeah. like the dude or like or no, no, sorry. I think Sagawa turns into a creature from the Black Lagoon and yeah. Berryman gets to turn into a giant gremlin because very yeah. clearly these guys were just worked on gremlins, too. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like we're gonna get to do a whole bunch of, of of shit with that and i guess there is one maybe it was the one you might have mentioned in your review josh but there was one gag that i thought was was quite funny when the one uh guy that i think it's the rapper guy actually who uh looks I think the most like a gremlin he gets into that one acting scene and the girl is just like you're not being convincing enough yeah. or whatever like it's kind of this meta thing um that was one gag I thought was very very funny uh, yeah and that's really definitely my gag. favorite joke yeah yeah because 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 like they're all hunting Sean down who's got this suit this kid that's just some average American kid who's got the suit and uh I think it's um the guy, he, oh, uh, Jimmy Walker. I looked him up, Jimmy Walker. Cause I was like, why do I okay. know this guy? And, and he's from that show. Good times. And so he's the oh, guy who gets okay. to play the guy who's doing the little like battle raps while he's turning into a gremlin and fighting and <laughs> right. hunting people down. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's like a gremlin ninja turtle, essentially. It's still <laughs> got his chain and yeah. he's even got like exaggerated lips and mannerisms. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's got weird ethnic qualities. It's pretty <laughs> crazy that they, they found a way to make a more 
racist version of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> it's it's really funny. Um, and he jumps into an alley where it actually is uh, Lena Quigley, who we've talked about before, from Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and from Silent Night, Deadly Night and Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama, which is just a title I get love to say every time I get to bring it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. But she gets to just go Scream Queen mode as the actress and it's so funny because he he appears on set. He jumps in at the exact moment she gets to scream. And he's like, why is this lady like screaming at me? She screams for like a full like 15 seconds. <laughs> and then he realizes he's jumped onto a movie set. And the best part of the the best gag of it, that's very Joe Dante esque, is that everyone on set just thinks like they're not actually scared of him. They just think that he's the monster that was supposed to jump into the frame while they were yeah. shooting. So he literally walks up to him and starts like giving him like a pep talk. He's trying to like the pump director. him up. He's like, dude, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't like step on her scream, man. You got to be scarier, you know? And he's, you know, he's trying to like, it's very, very, you know, l little meta gag that it's doing, which and is definitely probably the most like clever actual joke that's in the writing. Yeah, because yeah. it also it comments on like just I think in a way like Screaming Mad George, I think knows exactly how good he is because they even end that scene with um, the guy coming up that is playing the real monster in that scene and his suit just like yeah. isn't quite as cool as the the suit that the guy no, has No, his suit on. fucking sucks, yeah. dude. Yeah. Whoever the makeup artist is on that movie fucking sucks. Yeah, so I thought that that was really, really funny to like show this amazing suit that Mad George is capable of and then he's like, yeah, but this is what you're used to, this trash over here, you know? <laughs> I yeah. thought that was great. There are, there are a few like throwaway gags that that get me in this. I mean, most of them are just like so flat and so terrible. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's there's little stuff like when the there's like that 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 bully guy in the Aikido class that keeps hitting Sean and then the, and then he like shows up as part of the gang in the in the <laughs> yeah. alley that He's always like, gets me. I know me. you can't fight. I'm in your yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's another part in that same oh, scene. Oh, it's where, Kung like, Fu Man. Hey, <laughs> hey guys, look, it's Kung Fu Man. <laughs> that whole there's some funny stuff in that scene too. There's one part in that where like one of the one of the gang guys like he like spits on his hands like and rubs them together like he's about to fight and then he just kicks him um, <laughs> instead of like using his hands at all. Yeah. Um, and there there was actually there was one other thing that I noticed that I'm not even sure if this is intentional or if I'm reading too much into this at all. That I've seen this a few times and I only noticed this. this this time, but the part where, um, well, so I guess the, yeah, the control sphere, the thing in the Giver's forehead gets ripped out and swallowed by this, by a zoonoid. And then like the, the Giver like grows back and cuts his way out of inside of the, this, this guy. And, and when he, mm -hmm. he cuts him, he cuts his way out using this kind of blade on his elbow. That's like this curved, um, sharp looking blade. And, and it, you just see that sticking out of the zoonoid's stomach and it goes across his stomach and it looks uh, a little bit like a shark fin moving across the yeah. surface and then it goes like yeah and I never noticed that until this watch and I was like oh that's dumb <laughs> that's great yeah <laughs> yeah like literally he slices through his stomach with a blade that looks like a shark fin it just like throws the jaws theme in there for two seconds yeah I definitely <laughs> noticed that on 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 this watch and I was like damn because there is like a you know, there's there's a couple of stuff in here that I found genuinely funny. I thought most of the stuff with David Gale 
was just pretty funny, mostly because he's just a good actor. Most of the stuff with the supporting actors, I think, works. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's really most of the stuff that relies on the lead actors oh, that gets man. a little, yeah. a little <laughs> yeah, troubling. I, mean, I think I think Mark Hamill is doing fine, but he's just a kind of boring character. Um, I do think he, his he gets death... an incredible line read though. What's, like what's that on that about? one part where they are just where where they're he because he's obviously he's playing an FBI agent, the most casually dressed FBI agent ever, by the way, and just like a red turtleneck <laughs> and like khakis. Yeah. And yeah, he he is hardly in the movie, honestly. And mm-hmm. he's very clearly stunt casted to just be this guy who's like obsessed with hunting down whatever's going on with this corporation. He's the guy who's like, you know, uh, all the other FBI agents are like, dude, like, what are you doing? Why are you? What, what's going on, dude? You're just a psycho. He's the guy who chases the quote unquote Ninja Turtles for the FBI, which they directly reference. And <laughs> There's this great moment where the other FBI go where he goes, you know, just one thing, you know, what the hell is a scientist doing in the middle of the night? This guy, Sagawa, who gets killed in the opening scene by the the zoonoids. What the hell is the scientist doing in the middle of the night walking down a concrete riverbed in his lab coat fishing? And the other FBI agent goes, well, who knows? Some people will do anything to land a fish, even tell a fish story, which I don't exactly know what that means. (laughs) But Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill says, yeah, well, it ain't fish. I smell it's a rat. (laughs) And I was also like. What does that mean? <laughs> oh man! But you you don't know until the very end of the film that that FBI agent is actually teaming up with them. Like it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that connection with the FBI agent, his boss or whatever, was definitely pretty loosely thrown in there by the end. Uh, I would say um, something I wish that they focused on a little more. Uh, just speaking on the lead, which I guess was Jack Armstrong playing Sean Barker. There's a part after he fights the the, the gang in, in the alleyway when he gets the suit for the first time, and he's like kind of, you know, he's distraught by his appearance because it's just such a strange thing that he's going through. And then the suit, it's like kind of goes back into him. Like you see wires go into his neck and stuff like that. And he has one little moment where he looks at the mirror in the next day and he's kind of like, okay, well, I, I look fine. So that's all good. I, I wish that they they focused a little more on like his his transformation and how he was dealing with whatever the hell was going oh, on. Oh yeah, with this it. definitely yeah. should have been like a Cronenberg. Like, there's no going back. Yeah, like, he just definitely. is this thing now. One yeah. one crazy thing with that too is like, I mean, there's a whole part in the in this movie where he straight up he just straight up dies. Like he <laughs> yes. he, he they, like they rip the sphere out of his head. He he like he deflates and, and melts away and then he just like comes he back melts. Yeah, and then he comes back to life like he just like regrows his body like and then they're like you came back and he's like, yeah, I came back. <laughs> and I like I guess I don't I guess I don't know what the sequel gets into, but that's such a terrifying fucking thing of like, yeah, this this guy he died and he his body like grew back inside an alien suit like he's probably normal. There's probably nothing weird going on. With yeah, him. like that's the thing, right? Like he's he's completely resurrected, and he's just back to being like a superhero Power Ranger guy. He's not like dealing yeah. with any existential crisis or like all of the shit that's happening in his life. He was just a fucking teenager trying to get a date with uh, Vivian Wu this entire time and trying to be an Aiku- Aikido champion, and then all of a sudden he's yeah. going through this transformation, and there's like no emotional. Uh, process that he goes through whatsoever. Well, and and actually in the finale, they even throw like a nugget of an interesting idea where because because in that finale, he is just he's in this suit. 
he's just ripping through dudes oh, yeah. for like bloody pieces. Awesome. You know, he's like ripping, he's slicing them up a little bit. He's Drop like pun- uh, ripping. Yeah. And, and there's a nugget of an interesting idea in that Vivian Wu, who's playing uh, Dr. Sagawa's daughter, I think Mitsuki um, or Mizki. Mm-hmm. And she is actually very briefly like concerned and discomforted about like all the blood that's on his disgusting body. Cause you know, she's been forming kind of like a romance with like the young average American boy. Yeah. And here he is saving her and trying to like reach out and be like, Hey, it's me. I'm saving you. And he's just like this disgusting flesh monster. <laughs> and there is like a look of concern on her face. Like, Oh, is this what he's like now? And then he, it just disappears into his body and he's like the handsome young lad again immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, and, and she's like, oh, OK, you know, he's he's you know, he could just turn it on and turn it off and on like at will. Whereas it's funny because the effects work actually reminded me of what we talked about with Cameron last time he was uh, on brain damage. Mm. The fact that he's like got this little symbiotic monster connected to him and it like literally pops out of his head or out of his neck. And, you know, the way it focuses on those like wounds on the back of his neck. I was thinking about brain damage Definitely. and I was like, there's like once again, you can see like where the effects ideas were at. And I have a feeling that the other version of this movie was like one where this bodily destruction and the disgusting fleshy nature of the monster was actually more of a permanent issue for him Definitely. and actually a dramatically issue. Like it's, yeah. it's like the action movie version of the fly yeah. is what I imagine they were originally going yeah. for. The manga is a, is a lot, has a lot more stuff about that too. So I would imagine that that would have been okay. the original, original version. Gotcha. I got gotcha. To, uh, but I, but I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to just give a shout out too to uh, Jeffrey Combs who makes a little yeah. cameo in this. Mm-hmm. And I think he's nice. actually the the monster that gets his stomach ripped open because he accidentally swallows the, the yes. ball that is attached to the Giver unit and all of that. Um, yeah. But he's just like, I just love him so much. Every single time he shows up, even if it's for this kind of five minute small part, he's so memorable and he's so quirky and eccentric. He brings and it. Just, yeah, he, he always does. And and really, he just has like a couple scenes where he explains to the CEO just what they're doing in the, their underground lab and like the progress that they've made. But he just he just always finds a way to make it interesting. And I, I love the way he gives dialogue. He's just so yeah. awesome. And it's his character's Which name funny in, in the movie. Was... His character's name is Dr. East. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I was going to say funny connection to Destroy All Monsters, the um the uh, backstory that they explain for what is happening here this entire time, like what the uh, Kronos Corporation is up to is actually what Honda wanted to put into Destroy All Monsters, like the whole thing about sort of like genetic experimentation and like crossbreeding oh, yeah. to create these monsters, which they explain uh it, which I think it's a Gale is the one who explains it where he's like uh, in past times, these monsters were known as werewolves, minotaurs, vampires. Can you imagine these lovely creatures in the White House? That's my favorite <laughs> line in the movie. Those two things, those two sentences <laughs> next to each other is insane. It's so great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. World domination is next for uh, for Gale. Who? What's his character's name again? You said it at Balkis. the beginning. I've already forgot. Balk Balkus. Who could forget Balkus? Fulton Balkus. That's his name. Who could forget <laughs> such such amazing characters as Balkus and Lisker? <laughs> Oh, the, the, the stuff with him and Berryman, I think, is actually really funny. It is really funny. Just, just, 
just watching him and Berryman like next to each other is just such like strange casting. And yeah. he he is just it's weird because you can tell that I, once again, there was like a darker body horror version of this going on. Cause again, David Gale immediately gives off bad vibes and he wants this suit. And it turns out that he's the big old Zoa Lord. Who's the one who's trying to get the suit to use it for like nefarious purposes. But Berryman is basically like playing Lisker is just like his, his henchman who can't stop messing up <laughs> and he can't bring, he literally like he brings him the briefcase in like from the opening scene where they kill the scientist and brings him back the briefcase thinking the suit is in it and he hands it to him and it, there's just a toaster in it and the look <laughs> of rage on David Gale's face when he sees that there's a fucking toaster in there, he starts like to telekinetically fucking with Barry mom. Yeah. Like using like this, like from beyond like pineal gland shit. And he's his threatened or his threat to him is I'll have you slap yourself into oblivion. <laughs> if you don't get me that guyver. Yeah, he starts beating the <laughs> shit out of himself. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I think, and, and, and later on he just like burns toast in the toaster and he gets really <laughs> angry about that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny too that, uh, that and that like everything in this movie, they don't really, you know, uh, they, they don't really expand on it too much. But Lisker and Weber, the girl in the in the goon squad, um, they're like kind of into each other. Who's apparently from Buffy and Star Trek, by the way. Oh, if you were okay. wondering where she's from, I had never seen her before, and I and and I was I I the kind of sort of recognized but i was like maybe from buffy when i was a kid i guess I yeah don't know. maybe i've seen her just randomly but she, she's she's got a, a very strong physique she yeah. she reminded me of uh, albert pyun's like badass uh lady bodybuilders and like the nemesis sequels oh, i forget sure. which one yeah definitely <laughs> but i found it interesting that they made lisker and we were like they, they kind of had something together romantically they have like one scene in the van where they're talking about something like that but like anything it, it doesn't get expanded upon and it's just kind of like a gag. Most of, most of the characterization in this stuff is mostly just for laughs uh, and, to, and to move things forward into the next rubber suit fight, which uh, is kind of why I watched this movie anyway, right? So, I mean, in a sense, it They works do deliver that way. on the rubber suit fight, oh, yeah, which we haven't talked about a whole lot. Yeah, because yeah. it's, yeah. it's filmed, I would say, and choreographed very much like like Power Rangers, but with just more impact and violence to it. Oh yeah, dude, the, all the um, whooshing sound effects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it has that like wapa kind of sound. To it. Uh, but, but because he's, you know, f just fucking up these insane looking alien monster freaks, um, there, there's something a little more interesting to it. And, and really what I found the, the, the transformation I, I got the most impact out of was when uh, Mark Hamill, uh, transforms oh into his when he goes bug because mode. It's like, yeah, he goes completely. <laughs> Why? Bug mode. Why does he do that? Yeah, so I, fucking funny, it, dude. It's so wild. <laughs> Honestly, it creeped me out because he's the only monster that seems to have like his human eyes still on the yeah. creature. And so you look at Mark Hamill's like blue, like you know they'd be faking this, but they you know they tried to replicate them as much as possible on this just insane looking giant bug thing that looks fantastic, by the way. Um, and then just dies, like, because it's, I guess, too painful to transform for him specifically. I'm not entirely sure, but, yeah. uh, it, it's, I think it what's is definitely the most horrifying transformation. Yeah. Yeah, they did, yeah. I think the thing was that they didn't finish, like, um, putting the genes into him or whatever. So he had this, like, oh, kind right, of, like, okay. weird, fucked up transformation but it really is yeah i would say that to me that is probably the funniest thing in this movie 
It is so <laughs> it comes completely out of nowhere. It is so just comically disgusting and miserable. The the bug <laughs> yeah, thing yeah, is yeah, like it, it just looks it looks so scary and awful. It does and it, it you does. just don't want to look at it because of how how much pain it looks like it's in and it's Mark Hamill and then he dies <laughs> and that's it. And they're just like save the day. Yeah, save he's just the like day, it's too Guyver. late for me. I'm yeah. a bug and I'm gonna die. But yeah. you can keep fighting. Oh, and speaking, I just I was just reminded of this while they're having this giant like finale fight amongst all the monsters in the lab and the Giver and all of that. Um, I think it's Hamill before he transforms is like running back and forth with Vivian as if it's almost like a Scooby Doo thing where they're like running one way and then they realize the monsters are that way. So they run the other <laughs> way and they're like, Nope, gotta go this way. Like they're yeah. like almost like they're going through the hallway closet doors and they're, you know, it doesn't make any sense logistically. Um, it, yeah, just just so strange and a lot of fun, but just like you never know what they were trying to go for in tone, even with this f- crazy violent finale. Yeah, that's definitely the most like disturbing transformation because a lot of the other ones are more built into like the action stuff. They're meant to be kind of cool. Like when he yeah. puts on the Giver suit in like that middle set piece, it literally like pops out of his body and it, it's more like a sequence out of like the Bay Transformers things where it's like these dynamic shots just like hitting his bicep as like the fleshy stringy tendon pieces just like wrap around it and they wrap tight and then all of a sudden the helmet forms around his face and he's just like he's like now I'm here to fight all these guys and you know because these monsters are like rapping at this girl I like and- <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that bit where he's where the 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 rapping gremlin gets to be like I've been looking high I've been looking low for the Givin Jivin thing to show and now this punk's become a hunk and he just ends on like this big like boy <laughs> yeah. it's oh it's so I love when he does his, he does his he does his full long long rap and then the Giver just says like in a really epic voice, he just goes, then come and get me. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's such a yeah, Is that what you say to that? Yeah, so what do really you funny mean? about the Giver too is that he never really gets any legitimately awesome line deliveries or like one liners yeah. or anything. Yeah, you're going down. Yeah, you're going down. I am the Giver. Yeah, I think at one point the most he does is he like, crushes a dude's bone skull into his head or brain and then says bonehead or something like that, which yeah. I mean, yeah. kind of funny, but I think that's the closest that he gets to something that's kind of actually cool <laughs> or at least humorous. Yeah, he definitely doesn't get a line that lines up with like some of the cool stuff he actually gets to do, like when he's like tearing limbs off or snapping necks and like there's some blood mist flying around. He's doing the like Power Rangers gymnastic flips and rolls (laughs) and like watching watching like giant gremlin monsters getting sweep kicked is also just kind of funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then when um, the big like, you know, reveal happens with uh, the CEO with the ultimate Balkus form. Uh, yes, he basically turns into like a giant devil Anguirus. Yeah. yeah, he's like a fucked up lizard skeleton thing. I honestly can't believe those effects. The first time I watched this movie, I was in awe because it's li- it's literally straight back to back. It's the it's that like Mark Hamill disgusting, disturbing transformation scene. And then it's instantly this like a xenomorph queen 
crazy fucking yeah. action <laughs> set piece with no breathing room at all in between them. And like the, the guy was like rolling around like dark souls and he's dodging these giant sweeps <laughs> and it's, it's just crazy. It's such a crazy last fight. Yeah. Yeah. I do like when it, uh, he also like jumps onto the balcony and then jumps onto his back and stuff like that. Cause he can't really get to him in any way. Um, and I did find it funny that when he eventually like it doesn't even explain it. They have him explain it through dialogue instantly after where this like beam of light or whatever comes out and just inflames the, the monster. And then he says something else. So he's just like the suit protected me. That's what happened yeah. there. Just in case you didn't <laughs> know. Um, that was why he just suddenly exploded into a bunch of chunky pieces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true like Guyver fans know that that's his mega smasher, which is prominently okay. oh. featured in, in other Guyver media. But maybe you guys aren't real mm. Guyver heads. So, <laughs> well, do you know what? I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna watch the sequel. I'm gonna watch. Uh, I want to yeah, see what Steve Wang directed solo. I want to know. He's, yeah, he's I've always great, meant to so watch it, but I'm decent. I'm too lazy to try to f- try and find what way to watch it. Yeah, it's only got like 1.9k mm. watched on Letterboxd, so usually those can be kind of hard to find unless there is a Blu-ray out there somewhere. Yeah, well, I am going to definitely hunt it down because this was just weird enough that I kind of have to know what what else is going on. Yeah, I mean, they, they even end with the sequel. Us. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 They're, 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 straight up, there's like they, they reveal that the FBI agent was in on this conspiracy the entire time and that the one rapping gremlin survived. And <laughs> what is, what's the line that he says? He just he goes, says, I've, I've got, got a, a job, job for, for you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And he just goes, ah, dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? And then it that, just cuts okay. the credits and you're like, all right, time to queue up number two, baby. Let's go. Steve yeah. Wang. Oh man. I mean, I love, I really love drive and there's a lot of this that I, I do really like. Um, so I would like to see him maybe in the second one, which even critically, apparently it was more well received. Um, maybe in the second one, he, you know, can, he was able to do a few of the things that they weren't able to do in this first one, at least when it came to like the well, tone I think, and the character. I think with the sequel, he at least actually got to shoot and cut the action. He way the way he wanted. Cause okay. I, in the interview that I was listening to him with, uh, Justin DeClue, he was talking about how a lot of his projects got taken from him and recut, and he was also his own editor for his own action. Um, so he, I, from what I understand, with Guyver Dark Hero, it's probably a lot of, there might be some tonal changes as well, but I think the big leap is probably just the action filmmaking, because it sounds like Steve Wang got a lot of control over how that action was shot and put together. Okay. That Whereas here, great. they were kind of just... You know, they just kind of had to do what they had to do to make the producers happy and give them their Ninja Turtles kids movie. Right. And including throwing in like clumsy hand to hand Saturday morning cartoon (laughs) kind of sound uh, effects, fight choreography, even though, again, you know, some there's some impressive like stunt flipping and stuff happening. for sure. And it's cool to just see that kind of action applied to such obviously disgusting effects work at the same time. Like there's definitely some cool whiplash to that. Yeah. Yeah. Watching these like. Because once again, every every time you see somebody fly through a glass window or, or like a glass tube or encasing in a lab or something. Yeah, I just like full. seeing David Gale fly on wires across rooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like, too many movies you get to see that. Like they're in full monster uniforms. So when you're seeing these stuntmen do all these flips 
and get like like you said earlier, getting like leg sweeped and stuff. There is something interesting about watching such a grotesque character or a creature go through this like <laughs> typical kind of uh, action choreography. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, f- I did find that aspect very interesting and fun to watch the entire way through. Really, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's you know it, it works. It's it's something that feels like it shouldn't work, but it's just Shockingly. I think it just really is. <laughs> yeah. It really is a strong like you know maybe not joke, but it's a strong thing to be like, well, okay, so Power Rangers and shit like that. That's all about it's all about suits. It's all about monsters, monsters in suits. Um, what if we took those suits and we, we did them like we do the horror movie suits like society. It, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just, a, it's a good, it's a good idea. Even if, you know, um, it, I'm sure a lot of people don't like this and I probably wouldn't argue with them too much. Um, <laughs> but to me, this is, I mean, I, I love this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm like in a, I mean, if we're going to get to reductive rating round, I guess, or are we all good? Yeah, for sure. Let's do um, it. I'm in that, like, I think I'm honestly in the strong three territory. I don't think it would get to a four for me just cause there's a lot of stuff I would like to see out of the characters. Like, you know, the lead going through more of an emotional experience with his transformation, maybe just a little bit more to chew on with the, the, the reason that the corporation wants this or something along those lines. Um, but all of the weird quirks about we could, it, we could do with a lead actor as interesting as the supporting actors are probably a little bit as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I think it's, I was actually going to speak to this. It, it's funny that at least from what it looks like, I'm looking at the poster here off of Wikipedia and they have Mark Hamill as like the main name. And then yes. even on the poster, it's half of his face over the Guyver uniform. And yeah, I'm going to yeah. sit here and tell <laughs> yes. you right now, he never gets in the Guyver unit. So it's kind of funny that they have that in there. Um, they're just kind of like trying to sell it to you essentially on yeah. that poster. Yeah. The, they they would have made him top build if they could. Yeah. yeah. Oh. They would have made him number one. Yeah. Okay. It How was like horrible he got to set and they were they... like, no, I'm not getting in that fucking suit. Hire somebody else or something like that. I don't know. How <laughs> horrible is it that they, they buried such an incredible performance from this lead actor? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to see the, uh, all the, I want to see the two hour version where, where's the, <laughs> the emotionality with this guy. But yeah, I'm I'm in the um, I'm in the strong three territory. I think a lot of the quirkiness really worked for me, even though the jokes were very you know eye rolly most of the time. Um, there's still some that hit, and even because of the clashing tones, there's just there's always something interesting about watching this kind of like successful clusterfuck. I I just always enjoy that, and there's so, something I can always latch onto with that. So yeah, I'm, I still think I'm in the strong three territory, even though I think it's almost by accident at, at a certain point so yeah it's 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 a lot of fun i, I would still recommend it. it it's just uh it's it's kind of mindless um and if you're just looking for a, a good 90 minutes of like insane makeup effects and all of those people in those makeup effects just getting tossed through glass and getting drop kicked and side, leg sweeped and all of that then i mean this is this is going to be for you it's it's it is still a lot of fun yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me, it's kind of more in like the solid to low three territory, I think. But that was also because I just had no idea what I was watching for like <laughs> the first half of it or so. Yeah. I feel like I might need to give this one another go because the, 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 the very clear, I mean, it was enough that I had to go and find whatever interviews I could You're to like, find what out what the fuck here? happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, it, like very clearly, so much of the design work is meant for, you know, this, you know, sort of manga 
mech imagery and genetic alien experimentation body horror and 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 then you throw in like people who have worked on Stuart Gordon films and stuff like that like you you immediately conjure up a very different movie in your head <laughs> yeah. um, even with Steve Wang being brought on to direct some action you know even just having that kind of film with some crazier action scenes would still be very interesting which is maybe what the sequel and, is which is maybe what the sequel is exactly. And then, you know, so the fact that this was retooled into like a Saturday morning cartoon, Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles type thing, literally because the producers did that thing where they were like, oh, something made money this weekend. We need to make be that same thing that made money this weekend, even though our movie's not going to come out for a year. And who knows if trends change by then? It never works, but producers always fall for that every single time it happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And as a result, you get some insane effects work applied to to like a children's comedy and uh, and also like first time directors. So as a result, you get something I think that's pretty uneven and flat and amateurish on a filmmaking level. But, you know, in a way that is because two of the best makeup and VFX artists of the 80s just wanted to fuck around for 90 minutes. So if, yeah. I think if you can go into the movie with that mindset, and also that they had a producer who was impressed enough and game enough to just let them burn money. Like, I don't really get where, where they thought this was going to go. Um, so, so yeah, if you want to see, you know, elements of, I don't know, like Albert Pion's nemesis Definitely. or like Robocop and even a bunch of actors from reanimator, like both David Gale and Jeffrey Combs. Holmes. And you want to see that turned into like a power Rangers type film. This is the only one other than this in the <laughs> sequel that probably does it. And it is surprisingly, it's probably the best version that could have existed of these two things being blended together. Oh, like, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it could. Definitely. I don't know. You know, like, I, I feel like this is a best case scenario. It seems like an idea that just should not have worked on any level. <laughs> and the fact that I watch this and I kind of have a good time with all the goop and the whooshing and you know, a Joe Dante gag just coming out of nowhere with Lena Quigley, you know, like it's, it is ambitious and fun for, yeah. uh, what it is, but also there is a lot of bad shtick and chintzy fighting. Um, if, uh, if, if you also just enjoy watching that and in a weird carnival score, did we bring up the score? There's yeah. a weird, there's weird music choices. <laughs> it goes along with the whole tone of like when they're, tr when they're trying to be th these like terrifying, lackeys or goons towards the lead and Vivian but then they also are constantly joking with each other and making themselves into cartoons the the score seems to connect <laughs> right with that with such like really bizarre tones I find yeah yeah um I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, blow you guys out of the water here I think I, yeah. I need to give this this movie a four and a half um yes I, damn, I, I love fucking it. love this thing. Stuff like this is, <laughs> is my bread and butter. Uh, the first time I watched this, I, my friend, my friend Pierce told me to watch it. Shout out to Pierce. We love Pierce. Um, uh, <laughs> hey Pierce, what's up dude? <laughs> uh, and he, I watched it on a, I downloaded it to my laptop and I watched it on a, on a plane trip for like a, I was doing like a short uh, trip and I, I was like, Oh my God, what the hell? I couldn't stop thinking about it the entire trip and I just watched it again <laughs> on the flight back. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, awesome. that was the next time I had free time to watch a movie um, and I just it's still watching how many no matter how many times I've seen this I I, I, I still feel like I'm being caught off guard just because <laughs> just because of the audacity of making something like this like the audacity of a producer to think that this was the right choice 
um, <laughs> the audacity to, to even once this, they decided it was going to be a kid's thing to still just just go not be like we're going to pull back on any of this stuff. Just still <laughs> yeah, go still shoot it. Still so yeah. Violent. <laughs> like it's so violent. It is it's very insane. Adult, honestly. Yeah, it's it's such it really is completely unique um, and it is a perfect yeah. movie. The fact that this just isn't a movie that just never got made. Yeah, like, exactly. This feels like one of those things that you would hear about like one of those legendary. Oh, I wonder what would have happened if that yeah. just went into production. This is what would have happened but, and it, and it, wor- it worked somehow. It was it's yeah. under 90 minutes um it's never boring uh and it's a perfect movie to watch on a couch with friends because everybody you can show it to people and everybody will like it because they'll either say what the fuck or or, that was awesome um and that's exactly what it needs to be and for that reason i love it and also uh check out steve wang's uh drive i think it's called drive or is it driver yeah i've heard nothing but great things about it and it has mark uh Mark de, de Cascos, yeah. who is the guy who they just added recently in John Wick three, right? Yeah, and he was like awesome. one of the, yeah, yeah. He seems he seems awesome. He's so great. I'm very interested in that. Yeah, and it, it even has like it it's got a little bit of a sci-fi twist to it, uh, if I remember correctly. And there are strangely enough still some slightly wacky things to it. It's not it's not anywhere close to this, but that th- there is some some more lighthearted fun to be had, even though there there's some, uh, it's, it's more serious and, and probably better put together, but yeah, it's, it's really good. Steve Wang is, is awesome. Cool. Honestly. Yeah. Do you know what I am going to, uh, uh, cause speaking of, I was at the beginning, I was trying to get John, John Hyams, uh, Steve Wang goes on podcasts, Steve Wang. Ooh, if you're yeah. out there, man, let's go (laughs) come talk to us about some crazy creature effects or uh, tell us some stories about drive (laughs) Uh, we would be interested um but yeah i think that that will wrap it up for uh the guyver there and for this week's episode that was destroy all monsters from 1968 and the guyver from 1991 thanks so much cameron for for joining us and for uh bringing these films with you Mm, uh this is part of the show no problem. If you've got anything to plug, we usually have you do that. What's going on in Pot About List World? Sure. So you actually caught me at a time when I have a bunch of stuff to plug. So I'm going to go fast. So it's oh, not so go, egregious. Um, but yeah, <laughs> go check out Podcast About List. We have a big uh, Halloween night live show coming up. If you live in New York um, and you like cool. horror stuff, uh, we're doing it. will be very fun and we will all be in costume. And you should come in costume too. What are you being, or is it a surprise? Um, oh, it's a surprise. I can't. I can't okay. reveal. It. I'll tell you guys after we stop recording. But uh, <laughs> gotcha. All right. I can't. I can't reveal it uh, publicly we get yet. The exclusive. <laughs> but, um, but I've also been doing um, a podcast with my friend Kai called Monster Crazy, uh, and we just talk about monsters. Every episode, we review a different monster, and we have a wheel of monsters that we spin to select them randomly. And we've done a bunch of <laughs> of movie monsters oh, yeah. that uh, I'm sure that fans of Sleezoids would be familiar with. Um, yeah, I I want to I want to come on this show. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anytime. Sick. You guys are both welcome. Um, and yeah, if you guys, if if anyone listening is a fan of monster movies or monsters in general, you should check that out. We're at Monster Crazy Pod on Twitter, and we're on all the the podcast apps. Um, yeah, and that's my that's Beautiful. my shit. Perfect. Hell yeah. No, definitely check those out. Check those out. And for our listeners, uh, we are going to be back in one week's time where, as Jamie alluded to at the beginning, <laughs> uh, it is spooktober time. The spook- the spooky theme is making its return. Everyone's favorite. Another Sergio and we are gonna be talking is making about- a return. 
What's that? I said another Sergio is making a return. Another Sergio, of <laughs> course. We love talking about Italian men who directed films in the 70s named Sergio. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to have, once again, an entire month of uh, nonstop horror and spooky related content starting next week over on the bonus feed where we are going to be talking about Sergio Martino for the first time. We're going to do the super long titled double feature of <laughs> all the colors of the dark from 1972 and your vice is locked is a locked room and only i have the key also from 1972 both uh bangers from sergio martino uh especially uh your vice is a locked room which has like this edgar Allan poe like hitchcockian element about like uh, abuse an abusive marriage which then turns into like this just gothic giallo bl bloodbath type thing um there's also a cat in it named satan so we're gonna have fun <laughs> talking about sergio martino and then in two weeks time we are going fuck them kids horror <laughs> mode it. we're gonna be talking about the omen from 1976 which somehow we have never covered and believe it or not i have never actually seen Wow. It is probably oh. one of my biggest horror blind spots, or at least most popular ever. So I am very interested in finally checking it out. Honestly, I've kind of avoided it because I've heard it's kind of dull. Yeah, it, but there's some good its stuff moments, in there. There's, there's a few good. Yeah, there's, there's a good few stuff. good. I'm definitely curious. And the, the guest is going to be pairing it with a film I also haven't seen called Who Can Kill a Child? But it's an intriguing, <laughs> it's an intriguing title and intriguing question. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that title. Holy shit. <laughs> from uh, <laughs> 1976 and it is a Spanish horror film and it seems really interesting so I am down to definitely talk about both of those and stick around for the rest of October because we got some crazy shit on the way including your patron voted episode which when we said it was going to be a spooktober episode you guys went like crazy on us and I think the episode they voted for was maniac and angst yeah uh, so wow. we're going to be disgusting yeah we're going to we're going to have a, a, a take a shower after episode uh, coming up <laughs> in Spooktober, as well as a long planned Halloween episode that I've been very excited to put in. So look forward to all of that coming up over the next couple of weeks. And yeah, I think that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all. Keep it sleazy. Hell yeah. <laughs>